You're listening to Fan Holes, a podcast for fans by the fans. Secret Brothers. I have clinical. You guys are like wasting my time right now. Hey, baby. What's <laughs> going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those that? I need one. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I didn't invent honorable mentions, mister. <laughs> I have a headset. It looks way cool. You should all be jealous. I, uh, we are. I'm with Mike on that one. I'm a woman! <laughs> it is our show. It's called Fan Holes, not, you know, what you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> We do a podcast? What the fuck? Ugh, what? Where am I? Welcome back, Cap! It's your old pal, Nick Fury! Nick, you look different than I remember. Memories cloudy. Limbs so heavy, I can't move! That's cause you've been asleep, motherfucker! Bucky, where's Bucky? He died, Cap, don't you remember? Baron Zemo said, I have had it with this motherfucking Bucky on this motherfucking plane. And then he blew up. Bucky! Now that's the bad news, Cap. The good news is, it's the future. And in the future, we have stuff like Fan Holes, the pop culture podcast made for fans by fans. Hmm, well that does sound nice. How can I enjoy it when Bucky's ghost haunts me so? Look, there it is right now! Why don't you let me die, Cap? Why don't you let me die? So guilty. Then just listen to fan holes. They'll take your mind right off it. Alright then, sign me up, mister! Shit, Cap, that's all you had to say! Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of Fan Holes Podcast. Tonight on Fan Holes Podcast, we're definitely celebrating the long anticipation for the Captain America movie sequel titled The Winter Soldier. And in honor of that film's release, we're going to be talking about some Captain America related comics. Uh, some of them are, you know, basically the, the Marvel Now Captain America, which is the new Captain America title that's been running as of this recording for about like the last, you know, last year or so. It's about 10 issues long. It's a long running arc by Rick Remender and uh, John Romita Jr. And then uh, following our talk on Marvel Now Captain America, we're going to get into a little someplace cold type session like we do in some of these things. And, uh, you know, one of our favorite uh, Marvel comic writers is Brian Michael Bendis. And Brian Michael Bendis is responsible for heralding in this big Marvel event that's titled Age of Ultron. So Sarcasm kinda, detected! Yes, yes. Uh, we're we're going to have a, a big kind of bitch session about uh, the Age of Ultron. And um, but, uh, before before we before we start, sarcasm detected. 
before we before we get into this whole thing, uh, uh, my name's Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be your host. And, of course, joining me tonight are the full contingent of the fan holes. Even though Brian's not going to say too much, I'm calling him out so he can, you know, put uh, some snipey comments in every once in a while. But, uh, yeah, we're all here tonight. So why don't you give a shout-out, guys, and let everybody know who's here. Hey, this is Brian Breakdown. Hey, it's Mike Thunderwing. Justin Grimlock. Hey, this is Tony Chainclaw and Kill Drill Kill. So, um, I, I'm not sure. What do you guys want to do first? Because I, I wasn't sure if we wanted to lead off with the bitch session and maybe end on a semi-positive note with Marvel Now Cap, or if you wanted to talk about Marvel Now Cap and then go into the bitch session. Like, what do you guys think? Age of Ultron. Okay, I, I think everybody's everybody's. Jumping at the bit, we're all we're all dying to rip into Age of Ultron because it's just simply the greatest Marvel crossover that's been released in the last I don't know forty years. Mike, you broke my sarcasm meter. <laughs> <laughs> We've been trying to contact you for days, Wolverine. Where have you been? Somewhere cold. Okay, okay, so yeah, Age of Ultron. Um, Age of Ultron is a 10-issue miniseries. It's written by Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, the first... The first... <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, that is kind of funny, right? Uh, the, the first six issues, I think, are penciled by Brian Hitch, who's, you know, a fan-favorite artist. Um, I, I don't have anything bad to say about Brian Hitch, but unfortunately, like, he was kind of saddled with this project and uh you know i don't know i don't know what to say about it other than that um midway through uh if you're if you are a fan of brian hitch he does not stay on for the whole project so i think like i i don't know who the artist was that took over but the last four issues are are not by brian hitch oh Uh, isn't it um uh what's his face trevor hair scene or something i think i forgot what his last name was yeah i guess maybe we should do that since we're and, uh, since we're, since Joe, we're, uh, Joe Quesadilla does the last issue. Who's Tony? Uh, yeah, the Joe cover Quesadilla. says Bendis, Bendis Patterson, Pacheo, and Martinez. So, oh, uh, Carlos uh, Pacheo. Yeah. yeah, Pacheo. Okay, so Carlos Pacheo is is the the man who takes over from from uh, Brian Hitch. But um, I I don't know where to. I mean, basically, let's just start with the title. I think that's the best place to start, right? It's called Age of Ultron. And if you're a fan of Marvel Comics at all, you know, you would expect that maybe this crossover might have something to do with Ultron. Well, you'd be fucking wrong. Because <laughs> really Ultron wrong. doesn't appear in this whole fucking miniseries until issue 10. Unacceptable. Prepare him. Ultron! Okay, and and I don't want anybody telling me, but there's gold Ultrons because they're all over the place. I'm like, well, that's that's not Ultron. Like, those are, Ultron, just like, those are Sentinels, basically. Yeah, or or like or, or basically, as as is pointed out, which I thought was kind of funny because I'm sitting there kind of rereading it and taking notes for this podcast, and I'm like, man, these are just fucking Daleks and shit because they're like, you know. <laughs> Well, I forget what they what their catchphrase is. It's like we will uh, strike and kill, or I, I don't know. They say something. I, I I took a bunch of notes, but I'm not actually like looking at them, so I'm just trying to go off memory. But uh, you know, they're basically like even in uh, some of the tie-ins, like the Avengers Assemble tie-in. There's this funny scene with uh, 
one of the the characters in the uh, issue, and he's like, "What? Not you're not going to say exterminate?" And then all of a sudden, the gold Ultrons are like, "Exterminate!" And he's like, "See, I've taught you something," you know. <laughs> and it's just like, "Yeah, yeah, you're a fucking ripoff." Well, like, and they even like, they even drive it home by coloring them gold, just so you know that there's no chance that one of them might be Ultron or something leading a force yeah, or something. Yeah, I mean, you know, but yeah, that basically, like, I mean, it's a good place to start with the title. The title doesn't really deliver. I mean, I, you know, you're thinking in the back of your head that somehow Ultron created this kind of age. I mean, maybe even if you're familiar with something like Age of Apocalypse, you might even think it's some kind of alternate timeline. Because when you start the first issue, I mean, everything is devastated. I mean, you're thrown I mean, into it cold as fuck. You don't know what's yeah, going yeah, on. Yeah, you, yeah, you don't know what's going on. Like, everything is devastated. It, it looks like you know, you're in war-torn Sarajevo, but it's basically the whole world is war-torn. And, you know, the the comparison to Sentinels is pretty apropos because you've got these, you know, sort of hunter-killer, Terminator-esque gold Ultron robots that, you know, hover around and, you know, find, you know, organic life forms. And if they're not, you know, I guess paying the bills or whatever, they, you know, come and... and you know, basically exterminate any, you know, living life forms and so Yeah, one, one thing I noticed that was really just kinda <clears throat> even more like soul crushing if you like really take it in is like the only fucking people I saw for like the first four issues were heroes, a couple of villains, and a couple of thugs. So I'm assuming everybody's dead. Yeah, I mean that I mean that's kind of what you take away from it. And you're like the way it was sold, I mean, at least in solicitations and, and the way most people took it, I mean, I was I, I watched the uh, the Swass cast and they sometimes do a pod or I, I guess they, they, they are a podcast, I guess, but they sometimes have guests on their show and they have this guy named Matt Man who is part of the Secret Identity podcast and I guess he does a podcast with another guy who's sometimes on the Swass cast show, but I can't remember his name and they did this video version of of a, a podcast or whatever. And and so I listened to their or I, I watched the video version of their podcast and the first issue of, of one series, one comic series they decided to review was Age of Ultron. But what was cracking me up is they're looking at Age of Ultron number one and just like us, they're kinda like, Oh, we're kind of walking into this cold and the guy's like, Does this fit into continuity? Is this part of continuity? I think it's supposed to be part of continuity. Are they gonna explain how this fits into continuity? And like he's like, Oh, I'm sure later on in the miniseries they'll totally explain how it fits into continuity. And if you just read the ten issues of Age of Ultron, I'd have to say no. No. You know, like, they never really explain anything. I mean, I guess if you read some of the tie-ins, you know, some of the writers had to work really hard to make it fit <clears throat> within their own continuity. And and the best I could come away with when I was taking all these copious notes is, like, in the Fantastic Four tie-in, it seems like the world is normal, and then it goes to devastated in, like, the blink of an eye. It's like, they're, it's like, oh, hey, Franklin, how's it going? And, by the way, we're about to come home, and we got this message from T'Challa, and, oh, my God, everybody's dead! <laughs> Fantastic Four come home, and it's like, oh, all three of them die! And then it's like, oh, no, Sue Storm's, like, the only one left. And it's yeah. like, that all happens in, like, maybe, you know, a nanosecond or something. Yeah. And, and then, you know, like as far as, like, Avengers oh. Assemble goes, it's like they, they literally say... I think Captain Britain says, oh, Britain fell in a matter of eight minutes. 
So you're like, oh, it went from everything was super hunky-dory cool, and then all of a sudden, I don't know, you know, you're you're assuming it's Ultron, right? That did something, but somebody somewhere along the way did something, and eight minutes later, gold Ultrons are like running the world, and every single major city has been decimated. Except for Austin, fucking Texas, apparently, which we'll find out about later. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I don't, don't get it, because you have all these superheroes, like, some are in space, some are, like, you know, hypersensitive and stuff. You don't see these giant fucking constructs coming from the sky or some shit, and everybody's just like, doop de doop de doo huh, that's kind of weird. Oh, wait, they're destroying stuff, oh my god! You know, it's like, I, I, I don't get how it could be that quick. Even Age of Apocalypse, that was like... <coughs> They, like, you know, built up the backstory. It took, like, you know, a couple of decades for Apocalypse to really rise to power. You know, he slowly but surely took over this continent, took over that continent. And even then, like, places like Britain and stuff were still, you know, like, rebel strongholds and stuff. You know, like, the free mutant territories and stuff. Well, and then then if you think about it, the whole instigation of Age of Apocalypse is a change in the time stream, right? Yeah, apparently this is just, like, how she's going to play play you know, is to play into later in the story, but as of right now, like that, it just seems like Ultron. It was just a normal everyday thing, like where it was like, "Hey, uh, I I drank some coffee. I woke up in Avengers Mansion, and oh shit, everything's destroyed." You yeah, know, even, and I'm just even later on, I mean, you're like, "This was supposed to happen." I mean, even even the tie-in with the Avengers. I don't know. If, did you read that, Justin? The one with Black Widow. Like, I know you're a fan, so. Yep. So, like, I mean, what did you think? I mean, isn't that kind of weird? Like, I didn't think it was a badly done issue because it's like they had to sort of swallow Bendis's premise. But it's just like Black Widow wakes up. She's like, I love San Francisco. I used to be a champion. I'm hanging out with all my old buddies from the champions. Oh, my. The Stark pad says, like, gold Ultrons are invading. Oh, my God. My face is ripped off. Oh, my God. Everybody's dead. And it's like it happened in, like, you know. Oh, and Mark. Spectre's in my barber shop, and he's a big pussy. You know, like that's basically <laughs> what I got out of the issue. You know, like where, and it's like it just everything happened. So I think it has like the reverse problem that I had with Transformers Regeneration. Like Regeneration, it's like oh, this happened in like twenty-seven years. Like this, it happened in like twenty-seven seconds. You know, like everything went to hell. It's like there's got to be some like fine line. You know. Of, of what could or couldn't happen in a certain amount of time. I don't know. I mean, unless it is... I mean, if time travel was the instigator for it, if, like, Ultron went back in time in the first place, then maybe I could buy, like, he... I don't know. Jury-rigged it so he would win or something. Well, but. apparently he's in the future, and our present is his past, so that's how they're explaining it. I always took it. They're like, he's so far in the future now, and he's like... Going and okay, spoilers. If expect spoilers, you're not missing. Yeah, anything. yeah. This, this whole this whole podcast <laughs> is going to be full of spoilers. If you have not read Marvel now, Captain America, and you have not read Age of Ultron, there will be spoilers. I mean, I I kind of went through and took copious notes, like beat by beat, of what what happens. I mean, it opens up in like you know Hammerhead and the Owl are there, and they own some sort of fucking crack house. That is like, well, it's not a crack house, but they sell like mutant growth hormone or some shit. But then they get, they, they're, te- they're basically like, it's like, it's like Fist of the North Star, or Mad Max. It's some war torn street that has a crack house. And apparently, like, the way they don't get, like, hitched and, and, and zapped by Ultron or these gold Ultrons 
is that people apparently sell prominent Avengers to Ultron. Like, because you, you see, like, Peter Parker is captured by the Owl and Hammerhead, and they're getting ready to deliver him, like, to Ultron. And when you read most of the dialogue, it's like Hawkeye busts in, and I guess it's Bendis Hawkeye who likes, you know, killing everybody, because Bendis Hawkeye comes in, and he basically slaughters, like, everybody but the Owl and Hammerhead, and then they get Peter out of the, uh, you know, he's, like, chained up to a chair or something like that. And, of course, you go back to the continuity thing. It's, like, this kind of, like, final crisis headache, where if if you were scratching your head during final crisis, well... This is kind of like Marvel's version of Final Crisis, where the main miniseries just, you know, Bendis went off and did his own thing, and he was the golden boy or whatever, just like Grant Morrison was, and nobody bothered to confer with anybody else, you know, basically, it seems like, because this just trying to shoehorn this into, like, straight-up continuity just makes your head explode, because you're like, isn't it, isn't it Superior Spider-Man that's in continuity? Like, and I yeah, think... Yeah, uh, What's-his-face coming in later... For no reason, so it's, Ultimate Spidey, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, that's part of the whole time is broken nonsense. Yeah. That, but uh, somebody else backed <laughs> in with, with, like, superior Spider-Man stuff. Like, didn't, Mike, didn't you tell me that Bendis, like, had an interview where he, he was kind of proud of himself, that, that the dialogue could go either way, in his opinion? Yeah, he said, like, it wouldn't interfere, and it's like, he was like, yeah, it's totally, you know, it's just like he's like, he, he you know, rather arrogantly, I guess, you know, so this, this like, epic will withstand the test of time, and, like, you won't need to know what was happening with Spider-Man, like, if you, if someone picked up the <laughs> book, like, like, ten years from now, or whatever. Well, yeah, that's because his brilliant idea was to have Spider-Man do jack shit. <laughs> Well, but the, the the thing though is like like I just took down a couple quotes from Spider Man, or uh, as I wrote it in my notes, Peter Parker says such and such to Hawkeye, right? Peter Parker says, "Have I ever told you how much I love you?" And like that's because he just saved him from all these thugs, right? But doesn't that sound like some quippy thing that Bendis would have Peter Parker say to Hawkeye after he saves him? Like I don't see like Superior Ock saying that. To Hawkeye. No. Well, like, you know what I mean? Like, if anything, Superior Arc might be like, Dolt, get these fucking, you know, chains off me, and, you know, what the yeah. fuck took you so long? You know, yeah, like, later on, he's like, um, they're in the Savage Land, and he's like, you know, uh, well, Spider-Man, what about your Spider-Sense? Cause that, could that work on this door? And he's like, uh, no, it doesn't work that way. Uh, it pretty much is immediate danger. I, you know, it doesn't work for Doom and Depression. But as far as my Doom and Depression sense, yeah, that's off the charts. And that's, like, really, you know, petery, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think a lot of the dialogue, if if it sounds like anything, it sounds more like Peter Parker. And then, of course, what drives you know you crazy is if you're if you're a faithful reader of say Spider Man and you're reading the Superior Spider Man and you pick up the Superior Spider Man tie-in, like not only do you know at that point in time if there's any remnant of Peter Parker left, he's you know the little ghost in in Ox head and this and that. But when you're reading that actual title, it's actually the superior Spider-Man. It's actually Doc Ock, and he's saying what a fucking loser Tony Stark is, and how he thinks he can save the day and fix it better, and of course it goes all wrong for him, but he has his own little, you know, he has his own little side story in the middle of all this fucking crap. So it's like, it's definitely, you know, Marvel, as a company, is definitely telling you, oh yes, this is this is in continuity, and it's definitely the superior Spider-Man, but when you read 
those first couple issues, it's like, no, it's not. It's fucking Peter Parker, you know, like. It just doesn't it, gel, yeah. Yeah, it, it's one of these things where, like, I I, th- I think this is a story that Bendis has had on his shelf for a long time. Yeah. Like, before, like, Superior Spider-Man was even a thing, and they didn't even bother to go back and, like, you know, like, an editor he didn't did. go yeah. and say, maybe we should, like, change the dialogue a little so it fits more. Well, he's, yeah. he's not even consistent with what he's previously wrote. I mean, if you <clears throat> if you read his uh, Bendis's Moon Knight, like one of the main plot lines throughout the, his whole twelve issue run, uh, other than crazy nonsense of like Moon Knight talking to like Spider Man, Wolverine, and Captain America in his head, um, they're like Count Nefaria is after something. You're not quite sure what it is. You eventually find out it's Ultron's head, and then later on, you know, this whole Age of Ultron event was announced. So you're like, okay, well this. This is obviously going to tie into Age of Ultron because Bendis is writing both of them, and you know it's going to be like a really slow, drawn-out build because it's Bendis. But that's never addressed. It's like <laughs> Moon Knight and Echo, they fight Count Nefaria for this head, and Nefaria kills Echo rather brutally. Um, Moon Knight manages to like take him down and get the head, and he takes it to like you know the really for real Cap. And he's like, "Hey, Cap, I found this. You guys should like be warned. You know, something's going on. Somebody's trying to like reassemble Ultron." But that's never ever referenced in this. Like when Moon Knight shows up in Age of Ultron, I'm like, "Okay, he's gonna like tell him, you know, hey guys, remember when I brought you this head? Like maybe we should uh, have done something, or maybe we can like use <laughs> that head and like reprogram it if we still got it." Or but no, it's it's never like referenced again. It's like been just like. Had one tangent, and he's like, uh, never mind about this. I'm just going to totally ignore it and do this own little thing. Even well, I think, I think even within within this miniseries, like, within this 10-issue miniseries, like, Bendis contradicts himself. Like, I guess, trying to go back to the plot, like, Spider-Man is saved by Hawkeye, right? They go to this uh, crashed shield her- helicarrier that apparently Ultron and all these gold fucking Ultrons, or whoever the fuck, Hammerhead, Owl, none of these assholes thought to look at the, in this crashed helicarrier, because it's their secret fucking base that nobody knows where they are. So they go back to this ragtag group of Marvel heroes, right, that are holed up, right? And they bring Spider-Man back, and everybody's yelling at Hawkeye, oh, you compromised us, you're, a, you're an asshole, and this and that, and Hawkeye's like, I don't want to lose my morality, I want to go save fucking you know, Spider-Man or whatever. And Spider-Man is trying to recount the events of, he's like, how did this fucking happen? And you'd think this would be a perfect time to be like, hi, my name's Peter Parker. I was, uh, you know, getting some wheat cakes from Aunt May, and all of a sudden a gold Ultron busted through the door and ate the wheat cake, and that caused a chain reaction, and that's why the world's (laughs) destroyed. Like, just anything, anything like that. But no, what Bendis says is, is Peter Parker says, I was asleep through it. I slept yeah. through it, I woke up in a chair, and then it was the Age of Ultron. Just like all the rest of us who are reading this, we fucking fell asleep, we read this comic, and we're like, what the <laughs> fuck happened to the Marvel Universe? Well, right? you know, as you're and, one do when the end of the world's happening, he says, go web-swinging. But then, <laughs> fucking two panels later, there's a big splash page that shows how he sees these weird fucking diagonal spires crashing into New York City. So which is it, Bendis? Was he fucking asleep? Or was he web-swinging and he saw this shit go down? It's like, <laughs> within within two or three panels, like, Spider-Man, 
or Spock or whoever the fuck he is contradicts his own goddamn monologue. So it's like either he slept through the Age of Ultron or he didn't sleep through the Age of Ultron. It's like how could he see New York City being devastated by those diagonal spears if he was fucking asleep? Like, I don't... Do you know what I mean? It's like, I don't get it, you know? Like, to me, it's like, it seems like this would have made maybe a halfway decent what-if story, but they tried to shoehorn it into, you know, regular Marvel continuity. Well, one thing I, I one thing I really got to just bitch about is, like, yet again, there is somehow Bendis managed to get his new Avengers love in here again, because, like, Luke Cage... First of all, he's the outspoken spoken black man, which is okay. That's his character. Like, Bendis writes him. That's fine, you know. Okay, first of all, he loses Jewel and his baby off panel. We don't see that. And, you know, he's angry and upset. Okay, fine. So he goes to, like, the Ultron thing and everything like that. And She-Hulk gets gacked because she's like, I have short hair now. I have nothing to live for. And <laughs> that's a direct that's quote, That's another too. thing that's kind of inconsistent where they're like, I'm She-Hulk. I'm, like, the most powerful of you guys. And Luke Cage is like, that's debatable, bitch. And, right. like, and then they go and fight, and Luke Cage knocks her out. And, like, yeah. the way Brian Hitch draws it, it's like he clearly, he knocked her the fuck out, and she's asleep. And then he goes to trade her, because that's what they learn. Like, you know, it's like basically, you know, that, that they can trade people away to Ultron or whatever. And they're trying to get intel or some shit. That's that's Captain America's master plan when he's not in a fucking fetal position, apparently. Yeah, yeah the, end, oh, the, end, oh, the end of, oh, the end of oh, issue two with the, 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 uh, the plan. The plan. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, it's like, I've come out of my fetal position. I've got a plan. You know, and I'm just kind of like, what's the plan, Cap? It's like, the plan is not to be in the fetal position. The plan <laughs> is to uh, punch Lu- uh, She-Hulk in the face, and then She-Hulk's going to pretend she's unconscious, even though Brian Hitch will draw it like she's actually unconscious. And then when she's not unconscious... Like, once we find out that it's not Ultron, because it's, like, issue four, and we still haven't seen Ultron yet, and we find out, spoilers, that it's the Vision! Okay? It's the Vision. And what does the Vision tell us? That Ultron's in the future! So, that information apparently is important enough for She-Hulk to get her brains blown out. And you're sitting here going, okay, Luke Cage is still an Avenger, which doesn't fit with continuity, because... In Bendis' own fucking title, he just gave up being an Avenger to go be a baby daddy with Jewel and, like, raise their kid, which is a good moral message, and I approve of it. But here he is, still being an Avenger. Jewel and the baby are apparently dead. And She-Hulk's just got her brains blown out. And you're like, how could this possibly be in continuity? Like, Washington, well, D.C. is devastated. Like, obviously, it's some kind of alternate thing, but they're not acknowledging that it's an alternate thing. Do you know what I mean? Because they know they they have that little ace in the hole where they're like, we're going to time travel, so by the end of it, all this shit won't mean shit. But in the meantime, you're like, why why am I wasting my time reading all this crap? Because the minute you get to, like, I, I knew the minute I got to the page where Luke Cage said, like, oh, you know, Peter Parker's like, sorry, I didn't realize... Like, the wife and the baby were dead. And I'm like, well, that's Bendis' pet character. Like, no way is he going to really, for reals, kill his pet character. I mean, yeah. Well, I like know. I said, though, like they still give, they, Bendis still gives him love, though, because, okay, She-Hulk, she, like, fights a couple of, uh, you know, Ultron whatevers, and she gets gacked in the head by a single finger blast, and she got finger banged. Um, and then, 
uh, Luke Cage, he's like, you know, she like throws him away from the the, the initial conflict. And he's running, and he's like, you know, gotta get this information to the, the Avengers. You know, sweet Christmas. He actually does say <laughs> sweet Christmas in this, by the way. Um, <laughs> and he jumps out of the building, and like he, he actually does that whole like, you know, kill my wife, kill my kid, kill my friend, blah blah blah. You know, the whole like, you know, righteous anger of you know all this shit going hell. And they drop pretty much a nuke on him, or they, you know, yeah, no, they, it's it's an it's an Akira level nuclear fucking explosion. Like, and he lives through it. He and, and he li- not, not only does he fucking live through it, he flies like you know, you know what the, the the big plan is this is what cracks me up. They have a side story right with with Black Widow, Moon Knight, and and they find Nick Fury's black box, and the black box has super secret spy plans on it. It's like, what's the super secret spy plan for when Ultron, like, fucks shit up? It's like, go to the Savage Land. Well, like, <laughs> the fuck away. basically, like, then Captain America, with this ragtag group of heroes, apparently he doesn't have the, the Nick Fury super secret black box, but his bright idea, let's all go to the Savage Land. So apparently it's not that fucking super secret, right? And on top of that, Luke Cage, who could have been captured by Ultron at any time and given up this information that they're all going to the Savage Land and Ultron could have finished them off once and for all, well, apparently he doesn't get interrogated. He survives a nuclear fucking blast. He finds a plane. He doesn't know how to fly a plane, but he flies the fucking plane to the Savage Land, gets out of the plane, crawls all the way to fucking Kazar's village, who he fucking magically knows that's the rendezvous point, and then he tells them, dude, Vision was like there, and Ultron's <laughs> in the future. And then he fucking dies. Yeah, very conveniently. It's like They walk up and they're like, oh, you don't want to go in there, he's really fucked up. And he's like, Emma's there, a uh, freaking white queen. And she's just like, I, I'm getting, like, you know, the exposition, exposition, vision, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and he's gone. It's like, well, that's fucking convenient, you know? And they're like, oh, well, he lived long enough just to tell us the information. I'm like, that does that's not how fucking life works, man. <laughs> you know? If, like, if, like, I really have to tell Mike tomorrow that we're recording on Friday and I get shot 15 times in the chest, I'm not going to sit here for a week and be like, Mike... We're not recording Saturday. We're it's like it's like if I came outside and like some dude like Justin was like waiting for me outside and he said and he said like Tony's in that car over there and he's like bleeding out but he wanted me to tell you this one thing and then like Justin would turn and look at the car and then turn back to me and say oh Tony just died yeah, yeah. Like in the meantime in the meantime we know Tony can't fly a helicopter but he just flew a helicopter all the way across from the East Coast to the West Coast just to hang out at my pad to say yeah. that to Mike. And you're just like, what? Yeah, you roll up and like the crash helicopter's on Derek's lawn, you know. By the way, about the only thing I like in this whole event thingy is when Kazar shows up. You know what, you know what cracks me up about that? It's like Kazar has the bomb moment where he shows up, but you know what pissed me off about that is – they they have to throw in this goofy ass dialogue because the White Queen's with them. I'm like, I don't know why the White Queen is with them. Maybe Bendis just likes the character, or he's trying to like get a feel for writing her because he was going to start writing X Men in a little bit or something like that. But the the dialogue's so awkward. It's like I'm the White Queen. I have telepathic powers, but my telepathic powers are kind of wonky, and I can't really get accurate readings. Let me scan around the Savage Land. Nope, don't see anybody. Dun dun dun, Kazar. And I'm just <laughs> like, wait, that's why it's like for Kazar to get his money moment, the White Queen has to be a fucking 
dumbass. Like, and I'm like, that's easily solved by like just not having the fucking white queen around, you know? Well, like, but now we get to the important part of the the, the miniseries. We're like, you know, to issue five, and now for no fucking reason at all, it really kind of stops being the age of Ultron and the Avengers of Logan and Sue Storm in the fucking past. I gotta well, yeah. say, also about the White Queen. Technically, if they if it wasn't in in continuity, she shouldn't even have psychic powers at all at that point because yeah. they got broken when she what do you call lost the Phoenix Force or whatever. Right. So they could have like put in some dialogue about that, but they want it to be timeless. So they're like, oh well, she, her psychic powers are wonky because it's like it's like that's what cracks me up about it. It's like even. Tony Stark, he never shows up in a suit of armor, so this decidedly, quote-unquote, makes it timeless, because he's in his, like, Stark pajamas, you know, like his little... You know, his, Stark, his Stark issue pajamas. Yeah, wh- whatever it is, it's like, oh, well, since he doesn't have a specific armor, we can't we can't timestamp this miniseries somehow. And I'm just kind of like, eh. I, I, mean, I, I do just, like later on when he gets the Mark II, because it's so ancient, Ultron can't get into it. I kind of like that moment. Well, I mean, I, I see where he was going with it. I mean, there could have been some cool moments to have, like, Brian Hitch, you know, draw him in the Mark II and all that kind of stuff. But, like, a lot of the characters in there just seem, like, interchangeable to me. Like, I, yeah. I feel like like Storm, Monica Rambeau, and the White Queen, like, they're just there. And, like, any Bendisy dialogue went to some of them. But there was no rhyme or reason. It's like when you're basically talking about it being Wolverine and Sue Storm and the the crazy time-displaced Avengers. Like, basically, by the time it gets to issue six, like, they've all met up with Nick Fury at the Savage Land. Like, you know, and and what's Nick Fury's master plan? We're going to use Doctor Doom's time platform. And using Doctor Doom's time platform, we can go to the future... And, and, you know, punch Ultron's head in, because we found out that's where he is. Yeah, but in the meantime... They've been, fighting, they've been fighting so well against the current Ultrons in the present. That's going to work right, great. Right, So that, that's the big plan, right? And, and then, of course, Wolverine, who stays behind, is like, how do we get this time platform working? You know, who's responsible for Ultron is Hank Pym. So I want to go back in time and kill Hank Pym before he ever creates Ultron, and then it turns into this whole, you know, like, do you kill Hitler? You know, do you kill uh, Genghis Khan? Do you kill, you know, like, whatever it is, the big age-old argument, like, do you kill don't, Hitler? Don't you, love that, uh, page? don't you love that page where it's, like, Reed and Pym, and they're, they're trying to re- revive the vision. It's like a flashback. And they have that exact same argument before they actually do the Wolverine thing, and they really, all they do is go... Yeah, but if you go back, you know, uh, they do the whole, you know, what if you go back time, kill Hitler, and they just leave it there. They're like, yeah, I know, that's a crazy question. Oh, well. No, no, what cracked me up about it is, if you read, like, the current Fantastic Four book, especially that, that tie-in, there's a scene where I think Reed Richards is talking to Franklin, and it's because they have all died, so it's like this recording of Reed, you know, telling his kids what's what after he's been killed, you know, like a, a recording for Valeria and Franklin. And, you know, ultimately, it's not that important what he says. He kind of writes down some stuff and he's like, how do I say goodbye to my kids and this and that and the other thing? But basically, the part that I keyed in on is he's like, I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in hell. I'm a man of science. So what I took away from that is, at least in this general context of the story, you know, in that little 
Fantastic Four side story reads an atheist. But in that little Bendis scene, it's like they go from, well, you know, if we killed Hitler, you know, we might as well kill everybody else who's bad. And if we're going to do that, you know, Reed Richards is like, we might as well go back in time and smack the apple out of Eve's hand. And I'm kind of like, why would an atheist think you could go back in time <laughs> and smack the apple out of Eve's hand? Like, why, why would that even, like, that just makes my head fucking explode. Like, like I, I, I don't, and I'm not saying anything about it either way. Like, maybe I believe that you could do that, but why would Reed believe you could do that if he doesn't believe in heaven or hell? You yeah, know what I mean? It's also kind of funny that, like, Wolverine hasn't had a whole lot of interaction with Hank Pym. I mean, they've met and stuff, but they haven't had, like, you know, like, Wolverine and, and you know, Yellow Jacket, Spotlight miniseries, 12 issues, you know, and become, like, fast friends. And, like, even in this comic, you know, like, Hank Pym still gets made out to be an asshole. He's like, we know if I tell him not to do it, he's still going to do it. He's a fucking scientist, the bum, you know? Well, you, you know what I thought was weird is, and I was going to ask Mike about this, is, like, Hawkeye gets spotlighted for maybe the first issue or so, I'd say, right? Because he, he rescues Spider-Man in the basic plot. And and brings him back to the the basic the the leftover ragtag group of Marvel heroes that's left during the age of Ultron, but he's the first person to bring up Hank Pym. Like, do you have any thoughts on that at all? Like, yeah, he's he's like, we gotta blame fucking Hank Pym because fucking Hank Pym is a fucking asshole. Never mind the fact that like, uh, the, the Hawkeye is the one who usually sticks up for Hank Pym and. You know, like, I felt, most I felt like that, I, yeah. that's one of those lines of dialogue where I'm like, they should have just had Wolverine say that in the first issue, because then at least there would have been some kind of through line where, like, yeah. by the time he says, well, let's kill Hank Pym, you're like, well, he brought that up in the first issue, so it kind of, you know, in, in other words, like, it, it, I don't know, yeah, that's the seed was planted, my, yeah, it could have been. My takeaway from it, you know, it could have been planted, but it wasn't. I don't know, and, and most, most times when I, like, in previous things, like, all the way back to when, uh, what's-his-face, when uh, Hawkeye saved Hank Pym from Egghead and accidentally killed Egghead, like, I, I've always, like, seen, like, and, like, when they were on the West Coast Avengers, like, I, it seems like Hawkeye always has a lot of sympathy for Hank Pym, or, like, he, what do you call it, he always kind of backs him and stuff. Yeah. And, I don't know, it just seems kind of, like, it just seems more of, yeah, like, Bendis is like totally random, angry Hawkeye. Where Bendis's only, I guess, understanding of the character is, oh, he's a hothead. You know, he just says things. You know, and stuff like that. Yeah, our, our moral compass gets to be sued just because she's a mom and she's maternal, so she won't kill people. Well, I, I feel like like Hawkeye fell into that interchangeable dialogue category along with. Monica Rambeau and Storm and White Queen, where it's like they had anybody say the dialogue. So it's like when when Wolverine says, yeah, let's go back in time and and kill Hank Pym. I think the dialogue was like, well, I guess he makes sense. And I'm kind of like, why would Monica Rambeau say that? Like, why would she even think that? Like, it just (laughs) doesn't. I mean, I, I guess maybe she could have been saying it makes sense that Hank Pym would create Ultron if you told him not to create Ultron. But in in another sense, it just felt like, she's like, yeah, yeah, you might as well go back in time and kill the motherfucker. <laughs> she's like, kill that bitch. <laughs> you know, I mean, never, I, I, never, never mind the fact that everyone in that room, 
knows something about like time travel and alternate realities and stuff. And they most like it seems like Bendis writes Wolverine as not understanding this, even though he's experienced it, that like that does not necessarily translate that if you go into the past and do something, it will alter the future or, you know, because, you know, what about days of the future past and like all that stuff? Like, doesn't it just create an alternate timeline? Like, you think all this would come up because like almost everyone there like has like experienced that before. Yeah. And you would think like, even though Wolverine, you know, the way they're writing him is like, maybe they, you know, I don't know, are setting up where he's, you know, feels like he has no choice. It's like, he's got to do this for this. But you have every, like, a majority of the room. Yeah, there's, like, two people who are bloodthirsty for some reason. But the majority of the room, but they're, like, they're not even saying, like, even so much that it's wrong to kill, which, you know, they, they do take that moral stance. But they're like, no, it's not going to fucking work, you idiot. Do you not understand that? <laughs> you, yeah. you would also think he would know better because it's a solution to everything in an event. It's like, oh, the Scarlet Witch is back, and she's got her powers. Wolverine, well, let's kill her. Oh, okay. Well, okay, now we got a problem with Hope, and she's probably going to get to Phoenix. Wolverine, well, let's kill her. Uh, there's, you know, maybe we can go back in time and can't kill Hank Pym. Let's do it, bub. I'm going to first one in the line. Let's go do it. I'm like, you would think he would learn after all these times. It's like he was wrong about Scarlet Witch. He was wrong about Hope. Like, of well, course he's going to be wrong about killing Wolverine because he breaks the time continuum. Well, it's even telling, like, later on when – Wolverine meets Wolverine again, <clears throat> and Derek will probably explain this, but Wolverine meets Wolverine again right before he's about to kill Hank Pym, and they actually have a fucking discussion about if they should go back further to kill him when he's a baby and shit. For a second. You know, they're like, well, we could do this, and, like, that's like a Wolverine discussion. How, how do we how do we rectify this, bub? Do we kill him as a baby, as a little critter? It's like, no, bub, we fucked up, bub. Like, no, it's funny because, like, Okay, this is basically just so people could hopefully follow along still in our our mid-rants. You know, they use the time platform. You know, Fury and Cap and all these guys do go to the future and try to, you know, assault Ultron, wherever the hell he is, right? But they, they quickly kind of abandon that. Like, you, you almost are not following these guys because they're, they're off fighting some pointless battle against people you don't know about, like gold Ultrons or something stupid, right? And so who they basically follow, because Bendis has problems writing team books and Bendis has problems writing crossovers because there's too many people for him to keep track of, it becomes the Wolverine and Sue Storm book, right? It's Marvel team-up, crazy Marvel team-up with Wolverine and Sue Storm. And so basically what happens is Wolverine uses the platform, goes back. Sue Storm's supposed to be on Cap and Fury's future team, but she stows away and gets invisible with Wolverine or whatever and follows him because she's like, oh, I don't trust you. Like, you're going to fuck shit up. So... You'd think, like, Sue Storm would maybe stop him or whatever, and they have this weird conversation, and basically, you know, Wolverine makes some good points. You know, he's kind of like, hey, if somebody held a knife to your kid, are you going to, like, you know, take the moral high ground and not kill them? You know, it's kind of like, no, I'm going to kill them because they're my kids, right? Okay, so he's like, well, this is like that times a billion. And I'm kind of like, I don't see how he makes that leap. 
but that's his, his rationalization. And so she goes along with the ride. They steal a young Nick Fury's Porsche. They go down to, I think, Avengers Can I make Mansion. a really funny observation real quick? Yes, yes. I like in the at the end of that book, they have, like, in all the books, they have this little uh, character roster of who plays an important part in each book. And they're like the past, the Age of Ultron, the current, you know, future of that age, blah, blah, blah. And then this one, they actually have the little circles, and they have young Nick Fury, and all the motherfucking thing he did was get out of his car, get it stolen, and go, hey, somebody stole my car. And that's all he fucking did. <laughs> yep, that's all he did. Remember to tell Stark I dropped by! So, so young Nick Fury gets his, his flying Porsche stolen. They take the flying Porsche to, I, it's either the Baxter Building or, or Avengers Mansion or somewhere, but basically Hank Pym is doing this weird kind of autopsy on Dragon Man, who, if you don't know, Dragon Man's like sort of like this artificial life form that looks like a big purple fucking dragon. And so he's kind of all fascinated by this, and it's supposed to be like, oh, this is the key moment in time. You know, this is, if you were a Doctor Who fan, this is the fixed moment in time where, you know, Hank Pym decides he's going to create Ultron. So this is, you know, basically the most opportune moment for Wolverine to strike, I guess. And so Wolverine shows up. He's like, I'm going to fucking kill you, bub. Uh, you know, Hank Pym turns into Goliath. They have a bit of a skirmish. Wolverine basically cuts his fucking throat, even though he's giant-sized. And, you know, before, Hank Pym's... Before Sue, Sue makes a really impassioned speech that means nothing. Well, no, I mean, Sue doesn't really, I mean, it's, to me, it's like she goes there to supposedly stop him, but if she really wanted to stop him, she would have done it right then and there. She could have just, you know, encased his head in the air bubble like she's been doing the whole miniseries and make people, quote unquote, go to sleep. I, I like how that works now. It doesn't kill them. Coma, when, you off, sleep, when, you, when you cut off people's oxygen, it just it makes them sleepy. You know, like that's how that works. They don't die or anything of asphyxiation. They just go to sleep. But anyway, she could have done that. But she didn't, you know, because she she knows how horrible the quote unquote age of Ultron actually is. Right. So she's like willing to give it a shot. And and it's like, oh, dear Lord, what did we do? Like, we're such bad people. But whatever, let's go back. So they fly back in the Porsche. They take the Doom time pad back. And then all of a sudden, this is that key moment in the miniseries where they're like, oh, shit. We ran out of story that we never had in the first place. Because it's kind of like Avengers versus X-Men. It's like when they got up to the Phoenix Five moment. It's like it became a completely different comic book. It stopped being about Avengers versus X-Men, and it became about the Marvel Universe versus the Phoenix Five or whatever. And in this case... Morgan Le Fay is now the big bad guy. Well, yeah, in this case, it turned into some weird amalgam universe alternate timeline that was fractured because of what Wolverine did. And I don't even know if I really follow the timeline logic. It's like, because Wolverine killed Hank Pym, supposedly the Avengers disbanded, uh, supposedly uh, Morgan Le Fay, I don't know, uh, won, some, together or something. won some magic war in the Latverian Asgardian magic wars, and Thor died, and Odin said, fuck the Earth, and so now it's basically, you know, Tony Stark's a cyborg and has a bunch of Stark carriers all over the Earth, and the Defenders are led by 
Colonel America and this ragtag group of guys who are all characters that Bendis is eventually going to write someday, like Star Lord or you know Janet Van Dyne is like Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, Marvel yeah, that, which you makes know, no like, sense. You know, which doesn't make any sense, but she is. Um, you know, uh, Hulk uh, thing. Hulk. Wolverine, they have their own Wolverine, they have their own thing. Doctor Strange. Um, so they have their, Doctor Strange. With so <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and so th- th- it basically turns into this weird alternate future, and if Hasbro is listening to me, do not make figures of any of these fucking flash-in-the-pan <laughs> assholes. I don't want them, okay? End rant. But, but, oh, yeah, especially, you know, uh, but, yeah. especially Scott Cable. Yeah, yeah, Scott Cable. That, that's another thing where I was listening to it, and I'm like, did they just call him Cable? Because he's clearly, like, Scott Summers. And then if you read some of the tie-ins, like, they kind of confirm it's like, I think Alex is like, yep, my brother who's going by Cable is, uh, you know, whatever, you know. And I'm yeah, he's like, got, like, a cybernetic arm, but he's still got the visor, and uh, it's, it's a mess. Yeah, so it's, it's this weird, funky timeline. And, of course, they are very suspicious of... Um, you know, uh, I guess as Tony said, you know, uh, uh, Sue and Logan's bogus adventure. You know, like <laughs> they're, they're they're suspect of it. They they think maybe they're scrolls. They think maybe Morgan Le Fay put a magic whammy on some scrolls or something. I don't know what they think, but they don't they don't believe they're the real deal. And so you know, Tony Stark is is looking at their memories. You know, Professor X and Emma Frost like turn them into, like, DVDs or something, and he's watching them, and, you know, he's interrogating Wolverine. And I just don't like how much Wolverine likes himself in this, because, like, the, this Logan from The Defender, <clears throat> whenever he keeps, like, running up to, like, the, the main Logan, he's always like, I hate to kill such a handsome man. My God, you're attractive. Holy shit, you're so awesome. <laughs> That's how he really killed him. <laughs> yeah. I mean... With well, compliments. <laughs> I mean, and then and then we should. I mean, this is the one bit of, of quote unquote writing. This is the the supposed solution to the miniseries, which is alternate cyborg Tony, who was ripped in half and is part cyborg, is like, hey, you, you know, you knew a lot of smart guys. Like, why would they tell you to uh, break the time stream and kill Hank Pym? And he's like, they didn't, bub. But it's the only thing that that we thought we could do. And by we, I mean me. You know, and I'm kind of like, okay, so so basically, you know, Cyborg Iron Tony Man or whatever is like, well, why don't you just make a virus? And I'm like, oh, yeah, like nobody ever thought to fucking make a virus for Ultron before. But apparently this is like this grandiose, like never before unheard of idea. Well, yeah, why don't we give Ultron a virus? Okay. And. Wolverine's like, yeah, bub, whatever. They're like, well, I think I feel better killing Hank Pym. Like, viruses are for pussies or whatever. <laughs> and um, and he's like, well, wait. He's like, hear me out. What if we do a time delayed virus? And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about, bub? And he's like, well, we let Ultron do everything he's supposed to do, but then when it's time to stop him, when Bendis starts writing this shitty miniseries, we turn on the virus and it breaks him. And he's like, well, bub, that might. That might kind of work, bub. And then it basically cuts to, like, the ten minutes before when he originally killed Hank Pym. So it's like Wolverine of the future and Wolverine two minutes later in the future, you know, talking to each other. And just to differentiate, they give Wolverine of the super future his old costume. Yeah, just just so you can tell them apart, right? 
And Wolverine's like, well, bub, I'm going to kill this guy. He's like, bub, that's not going to work, bub. And we kind of get to where Tony's talking about, and basically you got the two Wolverines, you know, kind of having this philosophical debate over, you know, killing Hank Pym. And, of course, Hank Pym, you know, I guess being the well-written Hank Pym he is, just sits down in Indian style and is like, oh, this is fascinating. You know, like he's not worried about... <laughs> also, also Sue Richards gets a nosebleed from how many times Bob is being said. Yeah, she does, she does. <laughs> like it literally gives her like an aneurysm. Well, I was going to say Future Tony, the, the, the half-cyborg one, the main difference between him and our Tony, the reason Tony didn't say anything when they were in the original time stream because this Tony watches Independence Day every day. It's his favorite movie. I guess so. You know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it makes your brain hurt. I know it It is very terrible. So, so, so basically like that issue, that's issue number nine that we're up to. It's billed as, you know, Wolverine versus Wolverine. So obviously it's designed to sell comics, I guess, or whatever. Right. And like what what cracks me up is Wolverine's in the interrogation room and the reason why he goes back to kill the other Wolverine is cuz he fucks up that reality too because I, I like Sue Storm escapes from the interrogation room and for some reason Morgan Le Fay and all these dumb doombots show up and there's this big fight and you don't care about anybody because it's just an alternate universe and you could give two shits about them like you know how like people are saying like you watch the prequel star wars movies and you're not invested in the action yeah. you know, the characters you just met five minutes ago die again yay yeah and that, that's basically what happens <laughs> like like instead of the gold ultrons just replace them with like fruity-looking Doombots that have, like, Morgan Le Fay dresses, but they still are running around acting like Daleks and blowing shit up. It's like, I just don't care about any of it, right? And so Tony's sitting there on his deathbed, and he's like, Wolverine, you fucked up. You totally murdered time, you know? And then Wolverine feels bad about it, so he goes back to murder time some more and, and uh, you know, and, and fix things, I guess, or whatever. And so, so he's like, I'm going to stop myself from killing Hank Pym, and, man, you talk about Bendis-speak and conversations and, and nothing happening. It's like 10, 12 pages of fucking conversation between Wolverine and Wolverine and fucking and, Hank Pym. And don't and get it wrong, this is like five seconds ago before the old, like the new Wolverine showed up. Wolverine had just stabbed like Hank Pym in the fucking side. He's like bleeding and shit. And now they're just like having a nice little chat over tea. Well, and then then they decide all this stuff, and they're like, hey, you know what you need to do, bub? Because, bub, I'm not smart, bub, but you're smart, bub. So figure out how to make a delayed virus. And he's like, well, if it's a delayed virus, why wouldn't I just use it the first time Ultron went bad? And he's like, well, bub, no, all that stuff has to stay the same, bub. And he's kind of like, why? He's like, just trust me, it totally does. It totally needs to all stay the same. He's like, well, how am I going to do that? He's like, just make yourself forget, bub. And I don't know how he did that, but apparently, was there some explanation of why Hank Pym didn't remember what he did? Because apparently, was it, was it a Sue thing? Did like Sue like make like an invisible, I don't know, fucking bubble and take out a piece of his brain or something? Because they're no, talking Sue. I, I forgot. Yeah, he he makes the virus right, and it's time delayed. So I understand the logic of that. The virus is time delayed, so it doesn't enact until Bendis 
starts writing this miniseries. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. I understand that. I can appreciate that, right? But then Wolverine tells him he can't remember it because otherwise he would use it during, like, Kurt Busiek's run on Avengers or yeah, any, he'll, he'll, any he'll numerous with mom or something a, like that. any numerous time that that Ultron <laughs> has shown up to, throughout the Avengers history he could have used it um and so they don't really explain it it's like Hank Pym just sends himself like this video candy gram and he's like hey dude put plug in this DVD he plugs in the DVD hey dude I'm you but like you won't remember but, like, I enabled this virus, dude, but you couldn't use it until just now. So I don't know how he pulled off doing that, but somehow he did, like, you know, so. Well, and, and, and don't forget, Wolverine and Sue go back to the future, well, the present, I guess you should say. And everything is pretty much normal, and then for no reason, time's broken. Well, not for no reason, but, yeah. You don't even well, get Well, I guess, I guess we kind of lift out the fact that, like, like, since there were two Wolverines, like, Wolverine's solution to a time paradox of himself was to kill himself. Oh, yeah, like, I forgot about which, that. Which, like, shouldn't that create its own inherent paradox or whatever? I mean, I I don't know if that's what broke time. Like, I don't know if that's the straw that broke the camel's back, but he thought he was, like, fixing time. But, you know, anyway, it kind of just... I'm I like, was I was going to say, like, when I read that, I was like, oh, well, that might be kind of cool. I was like, I wonder, like, how they're going to, how he's going to actually, like, kill himself. But then they don't even fucking show that. <laughs> it's like yeah, I'll they just kind of go off camera, and he comes back and is like, "I fucking killed myself, Bob." <laughs> Sue oh. Storm's like, "Stop saying Bob." <laughs> I, and, I did cross over one yeah. thing. Ultron also gets—he actually does show up in issue ten for five pages, only to be like, "I will destroy root, 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 system error. I will hate Pam. I love you, but you're my dad, so I must kill you." System error. Explosion. Yeah, the virus uploads, and then there's some technobabble double talk about why it works. And, like, he takes over, like, a space knight armor or something, and then, like, Thor, like, smashes him into, like, a million pieces or whatever. And then and then what Tony's talking about is the, the epilogue is they're like, well, Bub, I guess I saved the day. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, time has, like, a brain fart. And it's basically equivalent to, like, the Superboy Prime punch in Infinite Crisis to me, where you see all these images of characters, and then like it's like time has shattered. But in some ways, it's like a really convenient way to explain why there's a multiverse at all. But I don't see what time travel has to do with the multiverse. So it's like it's like trying to be clever, but it's actually really like fucking stupid. Where it's <laughs> I, also like, get, you know. I also don't get like Hank and them on the space station and they don't really seem concerned about this at all. They're like, yep, knew this shit was happening. Uh, fucking Wolverine. Biddly beat de beat. Bonk. Well, it's like Wolverine broke time and, and so you see these images of like Wolverine, but then you see in the background like Old Man Logan, Days yeah. of Future Past, Ultimate X-Men and then it's like Iron Man 2020 and Teen Tony and Kill Raven and Marvel Zombies and 2099, and then you got, like, Miles Morales hanging out with Galactus, which is, like, setting up some other ultimate event that I'm not going to fucking read, and, you know, like, and then and then you got it setting up Avengers AI, which I did read, and then the total non-sequitur of the entire miniseries. Can, can, can we let Justin reveal this one? Yeah, 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 go for it. The character reveal you've been waiting your whole life for, coming to you from Image Comics... We don't know why. Angela! Angela, creation of, of, of Neil Gaiman, apparently. 
uh, who, who wrested creative control, you know, away from Todd McFarlane. So apparently now Angela's just kicking it in the Marvel Universe. She was ripped asunder from uh, Spawn Comics, I guess, too. And now her her, her banging body is going to be, I don't know, doing She's stuff in the Marvel in Universe. She's 90s glory. <laughs> See, and, and, and it's kind of like, if this was like some isolated what-if, maybe I could handle it a little better because it wouldn't, like, touch any other comics. But what I've been noticing is... I've been reading the ongoing Guardians of the Galaxy that Bendis is writing now, and of course he brings up, like, human beings have broken time, says Thanos to to Star-Lord, like, you know they've got to be stopped. And so I'm like, well, it's Bendis, of course he's going to toot his own horn, but even in the Indestructible Hulk, you know, the Indestructible Hulk's doing some time traveling, he's hanging out with Thor back in the day before he knew who the fuck the Hulk was or what Avengers were or whatever, and having adventures with him. And they're also bringing up, oh, hey, by the way, like, we fucking broke the time stream. Like, this is this is having a big major effect in all these titles. And I'm just kind of like, man, I don't want to hear about this fucking story ever again. Like, it's so bad. And it doesn't make any it, yeah. fucking sense. Like, and just sweep they, it under the rug and forget I was, was going to say just about Angela's introduction. Talk about your fucking, like you were saying about that Emma Frost dialogue. Talk about your fucking clunky expositional, like, you know, she's like, I am Angela, I am like a angel from so-and-so place, and like, and I am angry, and I will not be disrespected, and I will go star in Guardians of the Galaxy on sale now. Yeah. <laughs> disrespected me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got a question, because I, I, I am familiar with the Marvel Universe, but was that big fucking face behind her ego, or was it like... Epoch or what? There's like this big face that she bloodied up behind her. Who is that guy? It was just some stupid Joe Quesada thing yeah. that he probably thought looked cool, but was just super confusing. Yeah, I didn't get that at all. I was like, oh, she killed a face. Good job. But uh, Bendis has also like tied this into his uh, <laughs> X-Men because he, he kind of like cites the original X-Men being in the time stream as like another reason that yeah, he's, yeah, like, time is all broken, yeah. so... Yeah. It's continuously, he's, like, referencing himself even more. He's like, aren't I clever? Uh, you know yeah, what did this a lot better is when Booster Gold walked into Rip Hunter's time lab, and, like, all across the board, there was, like, time is broken. And remember that that uh, that uh panel from 52? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That, much better, much better. <laughs> a lot more mysterious, a lot more interesting. <laughs> uh, this hurt. You made me read this, Derek, and you know what, man? You're my friend. And I understand we have to do this for this podcast, but fuck you, man. <laughs> friends don't let friends read Age of Ultron. I guess not. And and speaking of that, uh, when when the sequel to Avengers was announced, uh, the title was announced as Age of Ultron, and apparently just that announcement skyrocketed the book sales of the Age of Ultron trade paperback. And I just want to say. Man, you all are a bunch of stupid motherfuckers. Because <laughs> we we read this for a reason. We did it for you. You you're reading this because you yeah, want to. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, just wow, man. Like that's this book sucks so hard, and like you know, yeah, I don't I don't know what to say other than so that. Hard. Like, I, it, 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 just talk about like weak willed like easily manipulated human beings. Like that's all they had to do to get this book. To like get big big numbers was was tie it into the movie title, but man, like yeah, 
I don't know. Mike and, Mike and Justin probably have a little bit more they want to add, but the only thing I'm going to leave this with is the only thing that really pissed me off about this comic series, besides the stuff that already we've gone over, is there were so many characters used and like shown that did absolutely fucking nothing. Hawkeye showed up for an issue useless for the rest of the series. Spider-Man gets rescued for no fucking reason. Captain America has a plan. Here's my plan. I want to go yeah, until, until Nick Fury comes along and has a better, oh my god, plan. You yeah. know, and then Captain America's totally redundant. You know. Yeah, there's so many characters introduced that you like. You know, you you want them to do something because I mean, you know, everybody's got their favorite characters. Like Mike likes Hawkeye. I, I like Spidey. I think he's been written like shit, like in the past, but I still like Spidey. <clears throat> and you see all these characters. The only person who I think had a good moment was Taskmaster, and that's really sad. <laughs> yeah, right, right like, after the Red Hulk uh, stepped on his face. For no reason. And then you never see Red Hulk again. <laughs> yep, you never see Red Hulk again. Except when he's beating up uh, Doombots that are dressed up like Morgan Le Fay with dresses. Yeah, so as far as I'm concerned, Bendis again proves without a shadow of a doubt that if there's more than three people on the panel, he just fucking goes apeshit and can't write. So, Like when I, when I saw um, Monica Rambeau and Quicksilver in the background, I was like, cool, like maybe they'll get some, you know, some cool scenes because they've been kind of underused and then when Kazar shows up I'm like alright you know I like Kazar I like any kind of jungle hero so maybe he'll get some use he'll probably die horribly but well they didn't use him any for anything he was like hey I saved Luke Cage bye now like <laughs> so I have dude, to go now yeah. dude you can you can stay at my jungle pad I didn't even realize this but they did that to Quicksilver too when they get to the future they're like Quicksilver run ahead and do recon bye but Good like job. Good work, Quicksilver. Thank you, Quicksilver. <laughs> and then we never saw him ever again. I think. Yeah, when when Luke Cage saw Vision at the end, he was like, "Vision." <laughs> that's that's all you see of Vision. But like the the problem is, this was I think, as far as I understand it from reading various articles and stuff, this was intended to be Bendis' grand finale for his like seven year run on Avengers. And then it kind of got like shifted back and back for whatever reason. Like it wasn't only supposed to be like a five or six issue story. It wasn't supposed to be a mini series. It would. It wasn't even supposed to be a big universe altering event. It's like yeah. it got changed, so they had to like stretch an already crappy storyline out to ten issues. And then for whatever reason, they're like, "Hey, we got Angela now. You should totally throw her into this event, and it'll like sell hotcakes even more." So you have this like convoluted story that makes no sense, but like as a result, you've got all these other stories kind of coming out of it, like Angela's and Guardians. You got the whole going through time and like all this nonsense. It's like time is fractured, and that's being yeah, felt in like X Men: Battle of the Atom. Yeah. The sad thing is, though, is like I could totally see Bendis, and everybody knows how much we love Bendis here. I could totally see Bendis being one of those guys where he was cool with his story that he wanted to tell. But when Marvel hit him up and said, we can make this a big event, you know, hey, Larry, you know, that whole thing. We could sell books, you know, we can do, like, crossovers, and you could, like, actually alter the entire Marvel Universe. You think you could, like, change the story a little bit and make it work? He's like, yeah, totally, I got this shit, and not so much. I, I just hope this really is his last Avengers story. I mean, I like his run on Daredevil. I think he's been doing a pretty good job with X-Men thus far, but, like, he needs to stay away from Avengers for the rest of eternity. Like, hands off, bub. Uh, yes. Yeah, the man, like, I didn't hate New Avengers. I didn't think it was great. I read, like, the first seven issues, but after reading this, I was like, holy shit, I dodged a bullet. I missed so much bad <laughs> shit. You really did. 
I don't think Bendis realizes that, like, Ultron is a character. Like, <laughs> he's not, like, he's just like, hey, Ultron's an evil robot. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't think he's like, realizes that Ultron has, like, motivations and, like, he's, yeah. he's had characterization and stuff, so. I, I saw Power Rangers one-off villains on episodes have more characterization than Ultron. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Pachinko Head had more of a character than Ultron. <laughs> the one First other monster. thing. The one other thing I wanted to mention was, I liked that, um, like, after the, the Aftermath issue written by Mark Wade that yeah. kind of dealt with Hank Pym, like, I liked that because it kind of, like, filled in, like, some of Hank's, Hank Pym's backstory that is, that have, that has, like, never been touched before, like, his childhood and stuff. But, like, on the other hand, like, I also don't like the fact that Hank Pym has been cycled back to, oh, you're a fuck-up, Hank Pym, and you need to redeem yourself, you know? Because, like, he he did that already, like, many, many times over, but it's like they just keep going back to that. Like, Hank Pym is a fucking screw-up, so. I got a bag of his head where it's from Reeves. Wolverine just stab me. He's like, I am. Ass. That's my last word on that one. Ass. Well, to- Tony's sounding a little silent so I think yeah. we're going to wrap Tony, up Tony, are you, are you possessed by Ultron? I, I, we think so. We think he may Dilly, be. So Dilly. We're, we're, we're going to wrap up this, this half of the show on Age of Ultron, but when we come back, uh, we'll go into a little bit of Marvel Now, Captain America. Bioengineered monsters, freaky ooze creatures. Is that what it was like, fighting evil in the 40s? No. Sometimes it got strange. Uh, hopefully this half of the podcast is going to be a little more positive, a little more on a on a happy note, which is probably a good way to end it. But we are going to be talking about the Marvel Now Captain America comic. This is uh, a comic by Rick Remender, who is the writer and uh, has some consistent artwork from John Romita Jr., who does all 10 issues, which is rather nice for a change in, uh, I guess, today's ever-changing, ever-flowing, and ebbing comic book market. Um, I guess one thing that I thought might be kind of funny to discuss is I've been calling this series Cat Mandy for pretty much since it came out, and uh, our good buddy Brian, he said to me, D, what's Cat Mandy? <laughs> so sometimes I like don't realize because I'm like, oh, yeah, like some people don't know everything about the DC universe. So I was making jokes basically about Commandy, the last boy on earth. And that's kind of because in certain points in the story, you know, Captain America goes off to another alternate dimension called dimension Z and he's there for a really long time. So he's got this long blonde flowing hair and eventually he gets a big beard and the long flowing blonde hair, of course, reminded me of Commandy, all the kind of mutates and, and weird Zola monsters that were in the background are very Kirby-esque. And that also kind of reminded me of, you know, all the tiger monsters and, and crazy Planet of the Apes type ripoff stuff that happened during like, Commandy. It's also like got a lot of future science, like little throwaway lines here and there, too, which is kind of fun. Um, but yeah, that's basically where Cat Mandy comes from. Um, and so, I mean, I, I, the, just the basic setup for the Marvel Now Captain America for me is if you like Jack Kirby solo comic books, whether it's Jack Kirby's run on Captain America, if you kind of like what the New 52 did with OMAC, like, it's got that kind of, like, 
post Kirby Neo vibe to to the work, I think. And if you like that kind of stuff, like that kind of odd like enthusiasm and energy that that some of Jack Kirby's solo work had, I think they captured it very very well in this like ten issue run on Captain America. And you know the basic setup is that you know Captain America gets sent to Dimension Z. He uh, you know basically saves a young boy, even though Zola thinks he's murdered his son. Uh, he saves a young boy. Uh, the boy's name is Ian, and Captain America names him after his grandfather. And it, it kind of has that lone wolf and cub vibe, or if you've read the, the solo cable series where he basically takes care of baby Hope, you know, and it has that vibe to it. And it kind of follows their, their long-term adventures in Dimension Z, without getting into too many specifics. Um, but, you know, I, I'm kind of curious what, what some of the other fan holes think. I mean, I, I really did enjoy it. I think Justin said he wasn't, like, too keen on it. I mean, there's some things about it that I, I might be a little critical about, but for the most part, I mean, I, I enjoyed the run. I was kind of surprised, because for me, I know a lot of you guys like Remender a lot. You know, you enjoyed his Uncanny X-Force and everything like that. Um, you know, I thought it was okay. You know, I, I kind of tend to think of Rick Remender as, like, Dan Jurgens, you know, not a bad writer, but a very solid, you know, consistent writer, but nothing that ever really wowed me. But I think maybe because John Romita Jr.'s art had that great Kirby flair to it or whatever, you know, they really captured that that vibe to me. I, I think I, I kind of enjoyed this. And because, you know, Captain America definitely gets to stand out. It's his own title. And, uh, you know, and he really I, I, I really like the way they presented him in this. You know, there's there's. There's flashbacks of plenty. Yeah, there's a lot of good flashbacks, but they they set up his moral stance, and it's not always as straightforward as you think. It's it's not always Mister Cap, you know. It's not always like don't kill anything, Mister. Anything that gets killed is automatically murder, Mister. Like there's actually moments where you know people have to you know take other people out, and it's not like this end of the world thing. It's like look, you know, like you. You had to shoot that mutate thing, like, well, that that was a good kill, son. Like, you know, there wasn't anything else he could have done but fucking shot the guy down. Like, don't don't yeah, don't lose sleep over it, you know. Even so. in the flashbacks, like, <clears throat> they don't paint Cap as just like this perfect goody goody. He has a few moments of weakness, but the whole point is he comes out of that and becomes a stronger person. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'm I'm just kind of curious what everybody else thought about it. I mean, I know I know this is the first time I think Mike's read an ongoing Cap book in a while. Like, what did you what did you think of the Marvel Now Cap? I really enjoyed it. Yeah, like I'm, I I've liked Rick Remender's art, I, art uh, writing, like on on X Force and Secret Avengers and Venom and all that. And pretty cool. I I really like this. This continued that trend. I really I liked the whole like I'm not usually a fan of like sort of like out there stories like in space or like yeah like this like an alternate dimension. Well, not like you know like a weird like sort of like it's like a guy dimension. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't it, know how to say it. Like he's yeah, out, like on it, the it land. It is a weird. It is, you know, Dimension Z is a very Kirby esque idea. You know, it's just you know. I mean, ultimately, what it comes down to it is, if you want to scientifically boil it down and spoil the story, it's just this weird incubated thing where time happens really, really acceleratedly fast on like some battleship somewhere. You know, it's yeah. a big floating experiment. 
but but, but know, not the people who were there. But to the like people the, who were there, it's like it's like Picard's flute. You know, it's yeah, like they have a card flute adventure and they've been there for like, you know, 40 odd years or, you know, whatever it turns out to be, you know, so. But yeah, that, I really enjoyed it. Like, I, I love John Romita Jr.'s art. So, like, that was it, was it was a pleasure really to read. And yeah, that that it accompanied such like an enjoyable and like like really compelling story. Like, you know, it, he did a really good job of making you like kind of like bond with Ian like the same way Cap does you know like you really like when he gets kidnapped you want Cap to go like rescue him and stuff and you know when stuff happens later on you're like oh that's a real like gut punch like that's really heavy yeah and stuff and yeah Ian wasn't written like a normal annoying sidekick he was actually written like a boy who you know loves his quote-unquote father you know well, that, that's those moments where it does really get to you because, you know, when it starts out, you know, it's just Cap saving a young baby, you know, from Arnim Zola. But as it, as it moves on, you're like, oh, hey, he, he called him Papa. And then as it moves on, it's like Captain America's calling him Son. And you're like, oh, shit, this is, this is some heavy bonding shit that's going on right here. You know, this is like he, he's taken, you know, talk about like with great power comes great responsibility. You know, he, he steps up, you know, and he's like, I'm going to take care of this, you know, child as a father, you know, and you, you, you know, you definitely, I, I, I think, I guess, counter to a lot of the sort of throwaway characters that were in Age of Ultron, I think all the characters that are introduced here, whether it be, you know, Obviously, the the reveal is that Ian is really, you know, Zola's son, and that, uh, you know, he's got his daughter, Jet Black, but those characters, you know, this is the first time they've been introduced in Marvel, but I feel like they're really solidly developed, and you definitely, I mean, I I guess counter to that, like, I suppose (coughs) if I was making my edict about, I don't want any stupid Age of Ultron action figures, like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like be all mad if they made a, a nomad action figure or a jet black action figure or what you know whatever they did you know like like yeah, these even bearded cap <laughs> yeah you know, or, or uh, Zola Zola chest cap with bloody yeah. puffy cheek or something well, well even like the minor characters like the uh, the the good mutates the the red ones I think they're called like the flocks or the flogs yeah the frocks yeah frocks yeah. Like, you even kind of begin to care about a couple of those because, like, the way they're written, you know, like, one of them is, like, a pretty decent guy. He wants to help Cap out, and then, I mean, you know, like... Well, yeah, he basically, him him and his wife take take Cap and his son in, and even though their their ruler is this kind of dictatorial <laughs> tyrant douche guy, right? Um, I was trying to remember, I wrote down his name, Zofjor, is what the, the tyrant's <laughs> name is, and the guy who takes Cap in, his name is is Kasul, is his host. And it's like, he's just talking to Kasul, and he's like, look, man, like, you know, it, it reminded me it had that kind of Flash Gordon vibe to it, where it's like, oh, stranded in an alien land, but I'm gonna pull together all these crazy different, you know, hinky alien races, and we're gonna rebel against Ming the Merciless. You know, it kind of was like, oh, he's gonna take these uh, these frocks guys, and they're gonna have a big fight against Arnim Zola or whatever. You know, like that kind of idea to it. But that tyrant guy ends up, uh, you know, shooting the poor host guy, the guy Kasul, in the face, and then you know, Cap has to kind of have a, a showdown with him and everything like that. So, but then again, he becomes like you know. Accepted by the the frocks, and they're like you know they take care. Yeah, of yeah, they they kid. become part of that tribe basically. You know. Yeah. Um. I guess uh, just for 
quick comments before Justin gives his like you know overview. I, I I'm like Derek. I kind of like the whole like out of left field like story because for a long time like I think Ed Brubaker was really well known for doing these kind of Cold War super spy you know kind of <clears throat> very realistic gritty stories, which is nothing wrong with that. I I, I know a lot of people love Brubaker stuff, and I have like I said no issue with that at all. But it was kind of nice seeing Cap kind of get back to a more superhero vibe. Arnim Zola is a really weird out there villain. Um, you even feel bad for him at some points because his mindset is completely screwed up. He is fucked in the head. But at the same time, he believes in it so fully. And, you know, he even, like, has these moments where you're like, oh, those are his kids. He really does care about them. And then he does something really shitty, and you're like, oh, never mind. <laughs> He's a dick. Well, he feels like, like a, a super villainous version of, like, a, a Mengala or something, you know? Like, it's all about this kind of sick Nazi experimentation type thing, and, and, you know, him fusing genes together and making these weird chimera experiments. And yeah, basically that, that, that's, that's what comes with this... The, you know, Zola, Dimension Z, you know, is basically like his his lifelong dream of realizing this huge fucked up Petri dish where he can experiment on people in a in a real time, you know, scenario almost. You know, he's he's trying to develop, you know, his daughter Jet Black into like this soulless, you know, kind of killer person. But she still obviously has, you know, her gut and her guilt and. You know, he can't totally alter all of that, but he he obviously wants to. You know, he wants to shape and mold things as as sort of as he sees fit, which is, you know, he's a little not right in the head. So it's not always, you know, for the best of that person involved, you know. It's like there's the scene where, like, they're like, oh, okay, well, we, we got all the frocks together and everything like that. And it's like, well, okay, you know, get get the women for their matter and material, but kill all the children. And you're just kind of yeah, like, they're, whoa. they're clay. You know? Like, you know, so you're just kind of like, wow. You know? I thought the, the flashback scene to him in, like, Germany where the like guy comes looking for his wife who's, like, a maid at his, like, estate. And he's like, oh, I haven't seen her. And then, like, he Zola goes down into his laboratory and he's, like, mutated her into something. Some like freakish thing and stuff. I I, yeah, that was, she's. Yeah, that was pretty that they, like, He melded the dog that he was talking about with her. Yeah. Yeah. So he made this weird like chimera dog lady or whatever. Like it was bringing me back to like you know Full Metal Alchemist. Yeah, that's what I was thinking you know? of too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one thing I, I do like about Cap in this, uh, again to finish up my little impressions, I like the fact that Cap does come off very much like Cap in this. At certain points, you know, he does come off as like. <clears throat> the guy who's going to do the right thing, but like Derek said, he's in a really fucked up situation, you know? He doesn't know when he's going to get back and stuff, and he does make hard decisions, but every single one of those hard decisions, he makes based on his morality. He's not killing these, you know, like, like you know, he, he justifies it by saying, like, they're not real things, they're bio-engineered, they're not real things, they're trying to kill me. And that's not a morally offensive stance. I mean, they are really monsters made to kill him, so you don't really have a lot of sympathy for them. I mean, you know, when I said earlier, kill, drill, kill, they really do have, like, dialogue, which is pretty much nothing more than them wanting to kill things. They don't have deep thought. They don't think about, you know, like, I shouldn't kill. No, it's like, they are killing machines. And it's really nice that Cap is written in a really good way to where you see his, like, hesitation, 
in thought but not in action. He does what he has to do. And like a lot of those like those elite soldiers were made with his like DNA, so it's like it's like all these like walking violations of him pretty much. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Or almost like he's sort of taking responsibility for his his super soldier serum being used in a in a you know morally reprehensible way, you know, like Amazing Our science super soldier serum must be responsible. Had we ever obtained a DNA sample from the captain, we could have created an army of super soldiers. Yeah, like later on, there's like the uh, Captain uh, Zola, what was it? Like, yeah, the, the kind of mutates or whatever those are, like those soldiers with the kind of spiky shields and stuff. Yeah, and all they do is just spout like Zona, uh, Zola propaganda right at Cap and just piss them off even more because they're just like rhetoric machines that kick his ass at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just wanted to mention, I know we were talking about kind of all the, the wild and crazy hijinks of, of Dimension Z and how it's very Kirby-esque, but in a lot of the flashbacks, I mean, I know Tony brought up, you know, Brubaker doing real-world scenarios very well, but I, I think a lot of those Depression-era flashbacks were done pretty well. I mean, the, the the only criticism I had was, you know, when when it opens up, it's kind of like, okay, he's got his Irish drunk father who's beating him, and I'm kind of like, oh, that's not a fucking stereotype, you know. I'm like, if that was <laughs> if that was some other, you know, race or creed or color, you know, they they you know go file a complaint or something. But since it's an Irish guy, it's like, oh, okay, whatever. Irish guys are drunk and angry and they beat up their kids all the time or whatever but that's basically his father you know and 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 i think later on at least they try to i they guess redeem him a little bit they, yeah. they they try to tone it down a little bit by saying look it, it was a product of the times and and he was a you know the grandfather kind of says look he was a good man but you know he, he made some mistakes and this and that and the other thing but i guess in some ways you kind of see like you know when he's smacking around his wife you kind of see where Steve gets the, you know, always stand up quality yeah, from. Least, it's like it's supposed wife, to be. It's supposed to be from his mother. Those, yeah, at you least know, his mother really does not strong, back yeah. down. You know, from from that abuse. And then, and then I guess just getting just for me, I just want to finish this thought is just ahead, getting a little more personal. It, it, it feels like to me, I like the sentiment that a lot of times you'll see. In, in cases of abuse, you know, people will blame it on genetics or say things are inherited, you know, and that, you know, oh, he couldn't help it, you know, because he was abused and there's this sort of endless cycle of abuse. And I like that the message in some ways is, well, Ian and, and Steve Rogers or Captain America have this father and son relationship and dynamic. And just because, you know, Steve potentially was abused and just because... You know, he, he saw his mother being abused by his father, or his mother, yeah, yeah, by his father, doesn't mean that Steve is then going to carry that on to Ian. You know, he actually raises him properly, like, you know, a good father should. So I, you know, just from a personal standpoint, you know, I, I, I see that to be something that's, that's true of, of my family line, where I was never abused. You know, and and I, I that's not a reflection on uh, past, you know, past people, you know, in, in my lineage. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's not always that hasn't always been true. So in that sense, I'm kind of like, you know, that that makes me feel good that that's something you can hopefully pass on to people and say, look, you know, just because you were abused 
doesn't mean you need to pass that on to to you know the younger generation or whatever. Yeah. Just because you were a victim doesn't mean you have to make somebody else a victim. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I appreciate that. You know, I mean, I think if anybody can can get on a soapbox and preach that, it's it's Captain America. You know, yeah. uh, to to unfortunately be a little less serious, and I'm not doing this on purpose, but it's just, no, 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 it's no big deal. One one scene that just just really bugged me is like they do have a lot of flashbacks, and a lot of them are really good, and there's a lot of ones where Steve is getting beaten up by bullies and stuff, but there's this one scene where uh, Steve needs help for his uh, ill mother, who's dying of some random disease. I forgot. It. It's a real disease in the 30s, but I can't remember the name of it. And he goes to ask for help from this bully who's been kicking his ass like for years, who you know he doesn't like. At the same time, they're still like 10 or 11 years old. And he goes to this girl who the bully you know impressed more by beating up you know poor schlub Steve Rogers. And he's like, you know, I really need help. Can you like, you know get me in to like ask for help and it's just really weird seeing like a 10 year old girl walking up to like this 10 year old boy and being like baby just do it for me you know like help him out and I'm like ah <laughs> it's just how they're drawn they look very young yeah I was I was gonna say it's like Gramita Jr. doesn't always draw the best children so it's like it's hard to tell how old they are sometimes yeah they could have been like 14 or 15 which is still not great but at least it's a little bit more acceptable as far as the whole you know we're dating thing but like 9 or 10 year old kids like hey baby it's all you know Mr. J help out the slump <laughs> yeah I think I think maybe by that point they were probably supposed to be a little older like because I think I think that's where they, he also stops because I think when he first stops them from beating up on Arnold Rothstein like they're supposed to be a little younger and by the time he he revisits them again you know it's it's been probably because because if you think about it his mom wasn't sick back then and now she oh, is yeah. sick you know so it's probably been a while you know because they say and and even when his mom is sick she's calling out for um grandpa for the grandpa and the grandpa has now passed away so you know by the time back when he was saving arnold rothstein from getting beat up it's like that was when the yeah. grandpa was still alive, probably. Yeah, they're probably legitimately teenagers at this point. Just how they're drawn, it's just like, eh, kind of creepy, <laughs> you know. But, you know, hey, mate, if that's my biggest gripe, that's that's not a bad one at all. So, still wait for Justin to just chime in. I know he's ready. Like I said, I'll just wait for you guys to finish up. I'm good right now. I, w- I would love to hear your thoughts. I don't know about the other two <laughs> fan holes. Um, I didn't really care for this storyline all that much. Um, <laughs> gasp. Um Like, after, like, the third or fourth issue, I just... After every issue after that, I was just like, oh, this is still going on. Oh, another issue of this. When is this going to end? Um, but like Tony said, um, you know, Breedbreaker was mostly, like, spy, espionage, shenanigans, which I liked, that kind of thing. But not everybody else does. I know Mike's not a big fan of, like, spy, shenanigans, comic stuff like that. So, like, I, I totally applaud him for wanting to try something totally different than what's been going on in Captain America. But I I don't know. I just didn't really – I couldn't get into the storyline. I don't know what it was exactly. Like, Ramada Jr.'s art was really good, and he's lately he's not been – that great like his work on Avengers versus X-Men wasn't very good um, but it was pretty good here and like Derek said it did feel Kirby-esque and it fit the story but I don't know I just didn't care for the story and there's like some little comic book logic things in here that I'm kind of like whoa wait a minute um, 
But since we already talked spoilers through some of this, I'm just going to go ahead and spoil issue 10. So yeah, if you don't yeah. hear the end of issue 10, like, stop listening right now. So um, two big things happen in the storyline towards the end. Um, Sharon Carter shows up, and she – basically she shoots Ian in the head, and then he like falls off this platform into like – I don't know. Well, I think, I think she shoots him in the neck. I don't know. It looks like it could be like – in the back of the head or through his neck, but either way, she shoots him. It looks pretty hardcore, and then he falls off this platform into like I don't know, like lava. Well, yeah, it's it's a pretty hardcore scene. I mean, if you if you cared about the character, like I'm assuming, like me and Mike did for sure, and probably Tony, like that is a kind of a holy shit moment, and then it's kind of like a double holy shit moment when you realize it's Sharon Carter. Who pulled the trigger because, you know, I guess, you know, early on, it's like, yeah, Sharon Carter is Cap's girlfriend. She proposed to him like they're th- they were thinking about getting married before. I, 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 I still want to take the high road and be like, OK, she sees this person on top of Cap and he's probably going to kill him. And she's just doing like, you know, what she's trained to do. But at the same time, I'm like, you bitch. Well, you're like, you're kind of like, holy shit, like this is really going to fuck up uh, any kind of marriage or relationship that they they want to have, you know, like, that's that's kind of what I was thinking, like, but, um... Yeah, but it is kind of awkward, get... you know, it's like, hey, uh, Steve, honey, you want pancakes for breakfast? Uh, I don't know, Sharon, would you like to kill my son for breakfast? Do you want to do that? <laughs> but I guess, yeah, unfortunately, they're not going to be able to get to that, because she does kind of, I guess, since we're spoiling everything, he, she, she, it basically, it kind of, because I guess the reason why Ian is even in a position to be attacking Captain America in the first place is, you know, Zola finds out that his son's still alive, gets him back, does this kind of clockwork orange brainwash deal on him. So there's this very, I mean, if you were, if you're kind of a... A, a, a nice Bucky reference, too, on that, too. A kind of, uh, uh, you know, anti-American, you know, spiel that comes out of his mouth when he's, like, attacking Captain America and everything. And so, you know, th- basically he's, you know, he's kind of in mid-kill mode when she actually does take him out, but it's like Cap's trying to talk him down. So it's like one of these kind of tragic things where it's like he's finally getting through to him. Like, he's finally, like, crying and being like, oh, wait, I'm Ian now. I'm not, you know, uh, what was it, Leopold? Like, I'm not Leopold. Leopold. You know, I'm I'm Ian again. And then right when he realizes he's Ian again, it's like... And That'd be the worst tag team wrestling combo in history. Coming to the ring right now, Jet Black and Leopold. Yeah. <laughs> But I think I see where you're going with this, at least, is it, what you're – are you upset that they're not going to be able to deal with Sharon Carter because she blows herself up? Is that part of it? Well, I mean – and, and, that, and that nomad, you know, thing or – Well, I mean, first of all, like, how does he survive that gunshot and falling into whatever's beneath him and then go – and become nomad. Like I, well, I mean, it's like Zola dies like a couple times throughout the course of the the thing. I mean, you you could argue, you know, some comic book semantics about you know genetic material and what exactly is he made out of? Like he was given Steve Rogers Super Soldier Serum. I mean, there there could be some you know retarded comic book science that is like, okay, yeah, his throat was messed up and. He fell off a fucking cliff, but, like, so did Bucky. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so did everything else. And to be honest, like, that little epilogue is pretty much told as, like, a myth. 
and like yeah we're given like this you know really cool shot of like nomad you know like uh ian standing tall in like very reminiscent cap garb but it might not even be true it could just be a myth you know it could be like fucking sharon carter survived she like could be dressing up like nomad or it could be some fucking frocks guy and you know it's just, it says it's a myth and i mean Yes, logic does dictate in comics that he'll probably come back because, you know, I doubt the writer, Remendez, would want to, like, you know, just throw away that character. But, I mean, there is an open possibility. They just want to give you kind of a feel-good moment for that long arc. No, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. Like, you're just taking it as it's it's kind of like there's a lot of heavy shit going on in that story, and and that's kind of like a little mini feel good epilogue. Like, hey guys, don't don't freak out, don't get too gloomy. It's not so bad, you know. But I, I kind of know what Justin's saying. He's like, look, it looks like the guy's really, really, really dead, and then all of a sudden he's just kind of a myth and running around fighting the good fight, you know, for forty years or whatever it is, you know. So it, like, hey, it's not just. It's not just that. I mean, it's like when Cap has the Zola virus, it's like it's in his stomach, but he cuts it out. So, I mean, I mean, I know he's Captain America. He's like peak perfection of a human being or whatever. But, like, how deep is this inside of him? Like, how does he survive cutting this giant face out of his stomach? See, I, I, I kind of thought that was battle? Just, I, I just thought that was proof that Cap was badass. But, you know. I was like, I was like, that was just like, what? You're talking to me on my face? Guess what? I'm cutting you off my fucking chest. But I, I mean, I, I, you know, but, but, but yeah, it is, it is very goofy comic book stuff. I mean, yeah, I guess you know, maybe it's a double standard for me if I'm going to complain about Batman getting, you know, stabbed in the stomach and still surviving. It's basically tantamount to the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think it's pretty much if it draws you in at that point. If you're drawn in, you're with the story, and you're like. Balls to the wall, you're like, Cap, he's got to avenge his, like, you know, kidnapped son, he's got to do what's right, he's fucking Captain America, you know, you're going to buy into it and you're going to be fine with it. If you're not totally into it, like Justin was not at that point, certain things like that will kind of throw you for a loop and you're just going to be like, okay, this is just bullshit. You know, it's just not Justin's fault, it's not the writer's fault, just some stories you just don't get pulled into as much. Well, I, I guess part of it is maybe, you know, maybe I did read too much of Brubaker because, like, like if Falcon had to like cut something out of his chest in a Brubaker story, like I'm sure you would have like a whole issue or half an issue of like Falcon like dragging himself like down the street to a hospital or to help or something. But like Cap's just like, well, cutting you out, and tapes himself up, and then he's like, well, I gotta go fight mutates or something. Like, I guess it's just that kind of like, you know, that's the difference in this kind of storytelling. Like, you know, Brubaker's like more kind of, I guess, grounded in like comic isk logic espionage and then Remanders is more like, you know, kind of over-the-top high-adventure stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't something ridiculous like getting hit by a nuclear blast and crawling to a Quinjet and flying to the Savage Land and landing and crawling to Kazar and, oh, shit. Fuck you, Bendis! Well, I, I think, like, there is that dialogue. I mean, the, the only other follow-up to that is, you know, Jet's kind of like, look, you just cut a face out of your fucking chest. Are you going to be okay? And he's like, well, I got the super soldier serum. Uh, the virus is still inside me. I just did that to shut him up. And then they kind of proceed on with the story. So yeah, to me, it was like saying it, 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 that told me two things. Like he didn't exactly cut that deep into his chest. 
it's like he cut off the face that wasn't really part of his body. And yes, it hurt himself, but the super soldier serum was kicking in, and it's like he wasn't that messed up. So I'm yeah. like, I, I just kind of took it as, all right, fine. Like, like that's that's how I'm gonna take it, as opposed to like, you know, I'm Batman. Yeah, I will give Dustin this Which, note. It's there's hard. no, there's no super soldier serum. There's no nothing, you know. So that's, I guess, that's my only, that, yeah, that's well, my only devil's advocate answer or response to that. Yeah, we'll give Justin credit on this, though. As far as the art, how it was shown after that, he does have a pretty big fucking hole in his chest. So I don't oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He totally does. But that, I guess that's the difference. It's either it's either you got to be like, yeah, Cap's the fucking man, or you got to be like, oh, that's ridiculous. He should be dead. You know, so yeah. it's, it's one no, or the I still, other. I, I still like that moment. I thought it was a really good moment. But at the same time, I do understand Justin's like, you know, really? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I can see his his point of view because, I mean, Brubaker did do a lot more. Like like he said, a Falcon got, like, you know, his fucking arm shot, you know, and had it in the sling. He would have it in the sling for, like, three or four issues because he got shot in the arm. So I could see, like, why, like, you know, cutting a giant robot, you know, hologram, you know, thingy out of your chest would be kind of like, what? But, again, I was in the story, so it didn't bother me, you know. But, hey, but, but you know, on a positive note, at least we got to see Sharon Carter die on camera this time. <laughs> Yay. And she'll be back. So like spontaneously combusting. Combusting on a videotape somewhere, <laughs> and then Cap gets handed the videotape, and they're like, dude, this totally happened. For real, she's not really somewhere else. Like, we promise. Cap's like, no, this videotape confirms what I never saw with my own eyes. She's dead. Dead. <laughs> so, yeah, I like I like that one better. Maybe, maybe like after she shot Ian, Cap could have been like, "He was my son," and she could have been like, "Oh, I didn't really want kids anyway." <laughs> Goodbye. But like all that being said, like I'm not, I'm not giving up on Remender's around the Cap. I'm going to keep reading it because I'm curious to see like what he's going to do with Cap now that he's back, you know, in the really for reals world. Like, is he going to be? emotionally distraught, like, what's he going to do with Jet Black? Is he going to try and, like, you know, raise her, or, you know, is she going to run off and, like, join the new, you know, young allies or something? Like, I don't know. Not the young allies. (laughs) At least least let her join the young Avengers, man. Well, the thing about Jet Black, though, is she didn't really take a, like, paternal look at Cap. She was more like, you know, kind of want to fuck that guy, you know? I mean, she was, like, you know, confessing to, you know, her god, Zola, like, you know, not just his physical beauty, but just how he stands up for people. It made me think things. I'm like, okay, that's not like Ian. She's kind of hot for him, you know? <laughs> well, and then and then in that regard, you know, maybe then Sharon Carter becomes redundant, you know, and that's why they, they bumped her off. They bumped off the old old lady so he could get the, the nice young model, I guess, or whatever. I don't know. But, you know, I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens. I mean, I don't- you know. Whenever I hear her name, I just think of the guy from Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. So. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Hmm? What are you guys talking about? You can't really judge a person by their looks. Honestly disgusting. Whoa, whoa. What are you guys talking about? I never thought it would be a teenage girl. It makes me despise him. Who are you talking about? Uh, oh, oh, one thing I will say, though, uh, as far as what Jess said and what Mike said, and even what Justin, Justin agreed with, <clears throat> Jet Black's costume, oh my god, fucking Kirby out the ass. That was like, oh, yeah. that was yeah. so new gods. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everything had that, that Kirby flavor to it, I think. So, if, if you know, I guess, I guess just on an end note, if you appreciate the Kirby kind of stuff, 
and and it is it is weird solo Kirby. I mean, I, I I do quantify that. It's not you know it's not Stan Lee balancing Jack Kirby and this epic balance of Marvel greatness that everybody loves so much. No, this is this is capturing you know that that new fifty two OMAC vibe that that kind of weird Kirby solo run on Captain America. I mean, have you ever read that solo run, Justin, with, like, Doughboy and stuff? Like, fucking Doughboy. Like, I mean, Arnim Zola had a dude named Doughboy, and, like, he was just this big piece of dough that, like... Well, Doughboy was in this one. Yeah, and so, like, you know, it's just, like, all that kind of weird stuff, you know, so yeah. anyway, if if you like that kind of stuff, then then maybe it'll be your thing. If if you want something a little more gritty, grounded, a little more realistic and not kind of outlandish, crazy, super heroic stuff, then it might not be your thing. Um but I guess we'll we'll end on that note for Marvel now, Captain America. Captain America Winter Soldier should be in theaters by the time you're listening to this, so go watch that. Check it out. Tell us what you think at the Fanals podcast at gmail.com. But we'll move on to our awesome thing of the week. Um, if you're not familiar with that kind of segment, this is a segment where each of the fan holes will kind of tell you something that was pretty awesome in their world. Uh, you know, something cool. It could be a book, could be a toy, it could be a comic or something they watched or read or, you know, whatever. So um, I guess I'll go ahead and, and look at the first Skype avatar staring at me in the face, uh, a screaming, delirious Hank Pym. Uh, Mike, why don't you tell us uh, what was uh, awesome in your world this week? I got two things. Um, I saw Kick-Ass 2 a couple weeks ago, and uh, since we haven't recorded in a while, like this is the first chance I've had to like say something. And I enjoyed it. I mean, it wasn't as good as the first one, but it was like a nice like escalation sequel where like things got escalated and stuff. But you know, it was it was it was entertaining. Uh, and everyone of, around in Escalade. <laughs> yeah, speaking of John Romita Jr., I should say, you know since he draws that comic and whatnot. But um, also, my other thing is um, I've been catching up with the Batman Beyond comic that DC's been putting out. Like, well, they put some of it out digitally, and then they, like, print some of it, and then, like, I, I forgot how it goes now, but I, I've just been catching up with it. And, like, um, I really, like, when Adam Beechin started, like, this, the Batman Beyond thing for DC, like, a couple years ago, like, I thought that first, like, story, like, that Hush Beyond thing was fucking atrocious. Like, I thought that was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but, is that the storyline where Hush kills every, like, important villain in the Batman Beyond universe? It seemed like it, yeah. Like, he had, like, all of Batman's, like, rogues galleries, like, weapons, and he was like, oh, yeah, I took this off Shriek, and Shriek's dead now, and I took a shit on his corpse, you know? Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. I think they, they kind of retconned all that anyway. So. Dude, can can Hush clean up his own turds with his own wrappings? Is that how that works? Yes, that's exactly how that. Works. Okay. Self-like. But yeah, it, that 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 storyline was pretty awful, and you know he had to introduce like a new Batman Beyond Catwoman and stuff, and I was kind of like, dude, you know Terry has his own Rogues Gallery. You don't have to bring in. Yeah, all yeah. Like I that. technically I kind of think of uh, Ten as his Catwoman, but yeah. Like, but like all that stuff I hated and like I kind of I read like the the whole run and I I was like okay it, it slowly got better there was still like stupid stuff early on where like there's this issue like I really hated where like um Terry's like mom and his his little brother like get taken hostage in this mall 
and like bat like Batman's about to go in there and like save them, and then like the Justice League shows up, and they're like, you know, oh, we'll we'll come and help you, Batman, and then like brute. Bruce pretty much, like, whispers in Terry's ear, and he's like, oh, they'll just, this is Gotham. They don't know how to deal with a hostage situation. They're, they'll just screw it up. And Terry's like, well, well, what should I do, Bruce? And he's like, well, it's obvious. You know, you got to beat these guys up. Like, you got to beat up the Justice League so you can go rescue your mom and your brother. And, and Terry's like, well, this sounds like a dumb idea. And Bruce is like, just do it. <laughs> and so, like, Terry, like, spends the whole issue beating up the Justice League. And then finally, Terry's like, you know what? This is fucking retarded, but like, Wayne, shut up. And then he just kind of says, okay, I, I, you guys, you know, I need your help. And they're all like, well, you just, like, kicked the crap out of us. What the hell, man? But I don't know. Like, I thought that was really dumb. But um, Right now, Derek is seething. He's like, fucking A, Tim. I know you didn't write this, but it sounds like a fucking Tim episode. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just picturing that, that poor, uh, you know, uh, you know, Buddhist Green Lantern being like, why, Terry, why? Oh, yeah, Batman broke his arm, yeah. No, no. Fuck. <laughs> but, no, no, but, um, to get to the positive stuff, like, I really liked, like, Beecham's, or Beecham, I don't know if it's an N or an M, I forgot. Is it I, think, I think it's Beecham. Okay, Beechin. I'll go with that. I liked his, like, last story, which was called, uh, 10,000 Jokers, and it, it introduced a character called the Joker King, who was basically, like, you always see, like, in the TV show, all these, like, gangs of Jokers and stuff, but, like, it turns out this guy is the guy who organized them, and, it, it, like, he turns out to be, like, Dana, like, uh, uh Terry's, uh, girlfriend's brother, and, like, uh, he, he was really, like, like creepily designed, and he was, like, a really, like, effective villain and stuff. And, uh, what do you call it? That whole arc, art had great art. It, it was actually drawn by uh, Norm Rayfogle. Oh, and, wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah so, like, the, the Joker King was, like, had a really fucking creepy design, and, like, uh, it was just a really, like, night, like, it was his, like, sort of grand finale, sort of, and... It, it was a really, like, it it, had, it felt like really high stakes and stuff, and it felt like a Batman story. And um, there was actually, like, right after that, there was, like, sort of an aftermath issue, and it, like, it was basically focused on Dana. And, like, Dana, like, in the TV show, I always, like, like, she was, like, the standard, like, you know stock off-the-shelf comic book girlfriend where she was like, you know, Terry's broken the date again. I'm going to be all, like, pissy about it and stuff and blah, blah, blah. And, like, she never really got any characterization. Yeah, she was, like, known as being the girl who danced kind of hot in the beginning credits. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I don't know. The, the one-off, like, issue about her was actually, like, really good. And, like, like it ends up with her, like telling Terry that she, like, obviously because of all this, like, shit that happened with her brother, she's figured out he's Batman. And, like, you know, it kind of, like, it, it, it's kind of sweet where she's, like, you know, like, they finally, she, like, finally, like, tells him she loves him and she says, I'll support you, like, no matter what in this and blah, blah, blah and all that. And it was a, it was a nice issue. And, and then, then, and then, and then, and then Mephisto retcons their marriage. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, I should say, like, the reboot retcons their, like, you know, marriage or whatever. Because, yeah. of course, like, after Beechin's uh, arc, like, the uh, stories end, like, they just started, like, this new, like, Batman Beyond 2.0, like, saga, where, like, it skipped forward, like, a year. And I, I forgot who the new writer is, but it, it, 
it skipped forward a year, and like Terry and Dana are broken up for no reasons we're not privy to yet, and <laughs> and uh, like now and and Bruce and Terry are not talking anymore for reasons we're not privy to yet, you know, and like uh, but you totally let him keep the bat suit, you know. He's all he's all Terry didn't fetch my cane, so I kicked him out yeah. of the back. Cane. I told that motherfucker to beat up the Justice League. He didn't beat up the Justice League. <laughs> Yeah, and like T- Terry's like new mentor is like Dick Grayson, like who looks like Nick Fury now. He's got like an eye patch. He's like old grizzled Nick Dick Grace Dick Nick Nick Grayson. <laughs> He's all old grizzled Dick Fury. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, but, I mean it's it's interesting. Like I'll see where it goes and stuff. But it looks like this new arc is going to have more of like the classic villains and stuff. So. Yeah, is who yeah. is there a new artist on that two point? Um, yeah, it's um, uh, Dustin uh, something or other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dustin McGuinn, I think. Is yeah, I I don't know how to say it either. It's like an N and a G. Like, oh yeah, I think it's McGuinn or Dustin McGuinn, something like that. Yeah, I forgot who the writer, the new writer is still, but I know that's definitely the artist. But in any case, like after I rambled all that off, yeah, like I'm enjoying. Basically, what I uh, I've gotten I've taken away from it is like I like the comic again, so I'm glad I read through the whole run and all that. Okay. That's cool. I always like Terry McGinnis. That's cool. Yeah. What about you, Tony? What is your What is your awesome thing of the week, my man? Uh, I, I was a capitalist whore today. Uh, well, not this, today, but this week, and bought me some toys. Um, Thrilling Thirties Transformers. That's the current tagline they're using. I got Trail Cutter, Hoist, uh, Thundercracker, and also not Transformers related. I got uh, the Midas Armor for Iron Man 3, just so I can finish up Iron Monger. That's not important. I really want to talk about the Transformers. Trail Cutter is okay. He's not bad. I mean, I, I, everybody complains about the shield gun thing. It is kind of wonky. I'm not a big fan of it. Hoist is awesome. Hoist, like... I don't know if it's the colors or just the new sculpted head or the fact he doesn't have a crappy shield. His little toe winch turns into a gun. Great figure. Really like that guy. He's just really awesome. Uh, Thundercracker. I like Starscream from uh, Fall of Cybertron, so I would probably like Thundercracker. He's got a good deco. He looks like Thundercracker, and any any fanboys who've been following, you know, the current run of IDW will probably also like Thundercracker because he's kind of a uh, iffy tweener anti-hero now. He doesn't really believe in the Septicon cause. That wishy-washy scumbag, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's, he's a dick. <laughs> but at the same time, eh, you know, it, it's a new Thundercracker toy. We get a new Thundercracker toy before we get a new Skywarp toy. That hasn't happened to forever. It's always Skywarp first because he's stealthy or some shit. But, uh, yeah, Thrilling 30s are really cool. You get a comic with each one. Um, and just again, just to do it because I have to, if you haven't been reading More Than Meets the Eye, Trailcutter and Hoist are part of the Lost Light crew, so their comics tie into More Than Meets the Eye, and you get a little bit more insight into that comic, uh, get a little bit more fleshed-out characters, and it might get you into More Than Meets the Eye, the best comic, if you're not reading it, that you are not reading, and you should read it. So, great toys, good comics. Uh, yeah, I was very happy with my purchase. Cool. That sounds great. I know, I know you haven't said too much, Brian, but uh, I'm looking at your avatar right now, and I'm just wondering, do you have any awesome things to share with us this week? Uncanny picking me next, because I was actually going to mention the toys I got. Um, I think the only difference between me and Tony is I haven't found Hoist, uh, but I did find Orion Pack, so 
Uh, pretty much I got Trail Cutter, Megatron, and Orion Pax, and they're all pretty sweet toys. Yeah, I, um, I, I noticed like a lot of those Hasbro IDW guys seem to be populating my general area as well. I mean, I know by the time this podcast airs, you know, they'll probably have been out for a while, or maybe they'll be super rare by this point or whatever, but, uh, but yeah, I'm happy you guys, you know, found them for your Transformers collections and stuff. Um, I'll just go real quick. I know, I know we've been mean to Bendis and, and we don't like Bendis and everything like that. But I figured I'm going to throw the guy a bone. I read Daredevil End of Days. Um, it's kind of like a Marvel The End uh, series. It was like an eight-issue miniseries. Um, and it was it was Brian Michael Bendis and uh, David Mack. So they both kind of worked on that recent, you know, that last, you know, Daredevil run before this recent Mark Wade series. So... I don't know how much of it was David Mack and how much of it was Brian Michael Bendis, but you know what? I'm going to give the guy the benefit of the doubt. It was a fun series to read. I think it always helps when he's not hindered by any continuity, you know, like there wasn't anything, any kind of edict where it had to fit anywhere. You know, J. Jonah Jameson was publisher of the Daily Bugle. You know, it wasn't like he had to be mayor of Spider Island or whatever the fuck, you know, like <laughs> it just it was it was just kind of, you know, most of it was normal continuity that people would be familiar. Ironically, for being called Daredevil End of Days, it doesn't actually have a whole lot of Daredevil in it. It's kind of like, you know, it, it, it's kind of like the Citizen Kane version of Daredevil, where, you know, it opens with a videotape that shows the death of Daredevil, and he says this word, and basically, you know, Ben Urich is like, what does this word mean? Like, why did he say it? Why is it doing all this crazy stuff? Like, why did Bullseye hear the word and, like, kill himself? Like, what's going on? I'm a reporter. I'm going to go find out these things, you know. And he goes off to basically interview, like, everybody Matt Murdock's ever touched in his life, everybody Matt Murdock's ever slept with, everybody Matt Murdock's ever, you know, helped out on a case, you know, and he's trying to piece together all these different puzzle pieces to figure out, you know, what this thing all means. So, I mean, I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, I don't know if I, I, I don't know, like, if I should spoil something, but I do have a general question for anybody who's read it, or if you guys eventually read it, and uh, maybe, you know, a couple weeks from now, or whenever we, you know, air the next podcast, and you guys have read it. Um, the word that Daredevil says is mapone, and Yes, by the time you get to the last issue, you will know what that means. But my question to you guys is, I only read it once. So if you guys do happen to read it without spoiling what the word means, I just want to know, since I only read it the one time, and I'm not, this is the one logical point I didn't follow. Because Bullseye hears that word, he freaks out, and he kills himself. And, of course, the detectives don't realize he's killed himself because they're like, oh, there's bullet holes all over the place. And eventually, like, Ben Urich comes in, he's looking around, and they're like, I'll be damned. Look at what he did. Bullseye ricocheted the bullet, like, off the wall and off the mirror, and it went in, like, six different spots and eventually, like, hit himself in the head. And they're like, he committed suicide because he's, like, the greatest shot ever, and he did, like, a ricochet suicide or whatever it was. But that was supposed to be the thing, right? But my thing is, if you guys do end up reading it or if somebody's listening to this podcast who has read it, why did Mapone, why did Daredevil whispering that word to Bullseye make him do that? That's the one thing I didn't understand after having read the whole story. 
But otherwise, I thought it was a fairly engaging read, and uh, and I enjoyed it. So that was uh, that was my awesome thing of the week. Um, and then the remaining is last but not least the man with the Angela avatar of Doom, Mr. Justin Barber. Uh, why don't you tell us uh, what your awesome thing of the week is? Well, no surprise, I have uh, two books for everyone. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first one is called The Cuban Missile Crisis in American Memory. Uh, it's by Sheldon Stern. And basically it kind of exposes some like myths, lies, and misconceptions about the Cuban Missile Crisis because there's, like, there's a lot of like in- information out there that's incorrect. Pretty much. Um, One of the big things is before Robert Kennedy was assassinated, he wrote a book called 13 Days, which is like, you know, basically the history of this event. And most of it it was made up because it was made up to make him look good because he was running for president. Well, what most of these people didn't know was John F. Kennedy had a tape recorder and was recording most of the meetings that were being held. During the 13, 14 days when the Cuban Missile Crisis was going on, so now you know we have these tapes. Like they're in the National Archives, I believe. And the author like went and listened to all these recordings, and he's basically like you know it's giving you a concise history. And he points out where you know like one of the Joint Chiefs is like had this lie about the Cuban Missile Crisis, and he's like consistently been. You know, repeating this lie for 50 or 60 years, and then it shows you, you know, what the actual tape recording said. Like, you know, he was like, "No, we can't attack, you know, Cuba. It'll, nu- nu- you know, it'll lead to nuclear war." But then on tape, he'll be like, "Yeah, we got to go in there and bomb them." And like, okay, well, but but anyway, it, it's a really good book, and I really enjoyed it. Um, my second book is called "Before I Go to Sleep" by J.S. Watson, and it's about this woman who has this. Uh, Condition where she cannot form any short-term memories. Um, so basically, it's like she'll wake up and she'll go through her day. She'll go to bed and immediately forget what's happened. And she has like this big giant gap of memories and even like things that happened to her, like in her childhood, in her past. Like even those things are difficult for her to remember. And she kind of she starts like keeping a journal. So she'll like wake up and. You know, she usually like explores her house or whatever. She'll find this journal, she'll read it, and then she'll add to it. And it, it, long story short, it's like she kind of suspects her husband of like being involved in this accident, and she finds out she may have had a son at one point, but he's not telling her. Um, I enjoyed it. Like, there's some kind of like predictable, I don't know, like wishy-washy soap opera-esque stuff at the end. It's like. You kind of think you see it coming, but you're like, no, this book's gonna be, it's gonna be cleverer than that. It's not gonna go there. Well, it kind of goes there, but even, even with that being said, it, it's still a good book. Like I really enjoyed it. Cool, cool, oh, that's, that's very cool. So we've got two books from Justin. We've got a Marvel miniseries from myself, from Brian and Tony. We got all the thrilling '30s Transformers, and then from Mike, we had the uh, Ten Thousand Jokers arc on Batman Beyond and Kick-Ass to the film. So um, if you like any of that stuff, we'll throw it down on the spindle and uh, try to give you, uh, you know, some kind of Amazon link to that. And if you have any comments, questions, criticisms, thoughts, suggestions, uh, you can send them all to fanholspodcast at gmail.com. 
We have a Twitter. We have a Facebook. We have a Tumblr. Uh, I don't know. We probably have some other stuff. I don't know. Um, we, but yeah, we got plenty of ways you can get in contact with us. Uh, you can see videos, you know, whether they're sidecasts or, um, you know, commentaries or what have you on Blip TV. So you can watch us there. And, uh, until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Hey, this is Brian Breakdown. Mike Thunderwing. Justin Grimlock. And this is Tony Chainclaw. Fucking Bendis. Fucking Bendis. Peace. Who will campaign door to door for America? Carry the flag shore to shore for America. From home open to Spokane. The star-spangled band be the Bendis shall never have peace as long as the fan holes exist. <laughs> never. To hound him unto death. It's just gonna be like fucking Star Wars. <laughs> went, <laughs> went, 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 went a little dark there. A little bit. Shall Bendis ever have peace? No. 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 <laughs> well, I, I, I guess that's what you get when you have Peter Parker say that, that Hawkeye's costume is fabulous. And then, and like, and you're like, oh, that could work for Doc Ock or Peter Parker. <laughs> Pat myself on the back. Is well, that if, he said, if, he, if he if he said that's a fabulous costume, you clawed, you know? Yes, yeah, then that might be Doc Ock, you know. <laughs>